Before we start today's show, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. First episode of the month, first episode of 2024, and uh, do my usual shout outs. First of all, if you'd like to hear me on a very chaotic game of the year type episode, you can head over to Super Ghost Radio, where I took part in the 2023 anti-game of the year event. It was chaotic, fueled by the Mad Elf that I was drinking, and we had a really good time. So again, that's Super Ghost Radio. Coming up this month on the bonus series for patrons called Tales from the Way Backlog is the old PC game Ski Free. If you're, you remember that, the one where you're skiing down the hill and then the Yeti comes and eats you, we're going to do that for that bonus series. And as always, this episode is brought to you by the wonderful people who have chosen to support the show over at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. They are Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast Crew, Zulgeek, Chris Copline, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Kieran, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Rob Shack, Brian Skersha, Randall, Jake Martin, Jenny E., and we've welcomed in a new patron, Lo5 Alex. Alex, welcome to the VIP. If you'd like to support the show like these fine folks and many more, you can go to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. And with all that being said, we're in a tight spot. This is really bad. Really, really bad. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. My guest today is a friend of the show, one of the hosts of Fine Time Podcast, and the gamer assassin persona. Andre, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. I know this sounds cliche, but I am really glad to be here. This is going to be good. We've got a, uh, a very special game to talk about today, um, and it's about time we, uh, we collaborated on something after, you know, chatting in Discord servers for a while now. Uh, before we get into our game, I, I do want to point out to everybody that this, Andre, this is game number 100 covered on Tales from the Backlog. We've hit a bit of a milestone today. Oh my god, I'm here for a special episode? You I would have wore something nicer than this if I had known. <laughs> It is. Uh, it's special because you're here. It's also special because it's game number one hundred, uh, which is which is wild. It's not episode number one hundred. Uh, I've done a bunch of other discussion type episodes, but this is the one hundredth game, and that game is Killer Seven. We are in a tight spot today. <laughs> Killer Seven is the game. It's dark, and we are in a tight spot. <laughs> I um, I feel I feel great. See, like fine time doesn't do episode. We don't really count stuff on there. So yeah. like, I'm sure once we get to like, we're going to overshoot 100. That's our joke. It's like, wait, was that? A- oh, wait, this upload, this upload here is one number 100. Too bad we didn't, you know, like, yeah, I, I figure I figure that's exactly what's going to happen to us. Good yeah. on you for remembering. Of course, yeah, I I keep track of at least the the games that that I do on here. So yeah, Killer Seven's the game today. It is an adventure game slash first person shooter developed by Grasshopper Manufacturer and Capcom, 
published by Capcom for the GameCube and the PS2 in 2005. And for those who don't know, including me a couple months ago, Grasshopper Manufacture is the company uh, headed by Goichi Suda, aka Suda51. So if this is your first time listening to the show, if you have not played Killer7, don't worry, we're not going to spoil anything uh, story-wise for a while. You can check down in the show notes for a timestamp for when the spoilers begin. Uh, up until then, we'll just kind of like talk broadly about the story. We'll talk about gameplay and stuff like that as well. Is this to suggest you've never played another Grasshopper Manufacture game? That is correct. Yeah. Oh, you are really starting it. Because, like, people usually <laughs> go for, like, No More Heroes or, like, right. what's the most popular, like, Lollipop Chainsaw or something like that. We're really, oh, you're getting, like, the essence of Suda51, like, right off the bat here. That's excellent. Yeah, this is the first one. And uh, if people are listening and don't know what Killer7 is, what like this concentrated suit of 51 game is all about. We have some elevator pitches for everybody. Uh, I say this is an on rails FPS slash adventure game that is unapologetically itself. There's nothing quite like this game. Andre, what's your uh, elevator pitch for killer seven? I would call it a politically charged graphic novel. Mm -hmm. I guess good luck figuring out what the politics are outside of like a couple things, but like it's an, it's, it's at its heart. It's an adventure game where you use items and solve stuff, you know, like the old school idea of an adventure game, you know, but also like ridiculously violent conceptually fucked up. It's really great. It's a really great <laughs> game. Can I say that as my elevator pitch? It's great. Yeah, yeah it could be part of the ele- it, it. Maybe that should be part of more elevator pitches to just hey, say, actually, you know what? We're about to get off this elevator. It's a good game. You can yeah, say that. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I played this on PC. I did not play it on like the GameCube or anything like that. It took me 14 hours to play. I know you've probably played this game several times. So um, about how long does a playthrough take you? Do you know? I When I played it on Steam last year, I took about 20 hours. I like kind of really took my time. This recent playthrough took me more like 12. I didn't do yeah. nearly as much dinking around or whatever, mostly because I remembered what to do at this point. Yeah. But um, but yeah, back in the day, I'm sure it took me a similar amount of time. I originally did play this when it came out on GameCube on July 7th, 2005, 7-7, ha-ha. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it did take me – I kind of poked at it all summer because it was such a weird game. I did – I wanted small doses. You know, it's kind of – sometimes yeah. it can be a small doses game. It's like, okay, that was a lot. I need to yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, we can just go dive right into personal histories then. So you mentioned you did play it the day it came out on the GameCube. What was it that made you want to play this? What's the draw? This was right up my alley. You know, like this was my aesthetic. I know that's like an overused term, but it really was, especially shit. How old was I at the time? 2023-ish years old, still in my early 20s. This was the shit to me, especially mm. whenever it was unveiled as part of the Capcom 5, that was the game I had my eye on the most. I was like, oh, this one looks excellent. And it was. I didn't really have any expectations of gameplay or anything. I mean, I didn't know if it was going to be an action game, which it really isn't, a, you know, a Resident Evil type of game, which it has elements of, but really isn't. 
it was all those things and more. So I was very satisfied with this end product. My expectations were met. And from here, I just kind of, you know, Suda 51, you know, I guess, like I said before, everyone's, I think, nucleus point for this is no more heroes a few years later. But for me, it was Killer 7 that really set me on that path. Nice. Um, yeah, for me, like we've already said, this is my first time playing a Suda 51 game. Um, I had not heard of Suda 51 until like maybe three or four years ago when I started talking about video games with people online, you know, in discord servers and such. Um, I'd never heard of him, never heard of this game, never heard of no more heroes, nothing like that. Wow. I had a GameCube back then, but I was, I was, I'm younger. So like when I had the GameCube, I was playing, you know, Super Smash Brothers and Mario, and I didn't really branch out into other stuff on the GameCube. I didn't play Resident Evil 4, for example. Like, it was really like a Nintendo games machine uh, back then. So, I mean, I can't imagine you at that age would have been interested in a game like this anyway. You know, like, just, just the nature of it. Like, people call games adult. This is truly a game for adults, not just because of the content, but just like... Literally, like, I can't imagine anyone, even as like a, a teenager, an edgy teenager would be interested in Killer7. Yeah, I, I think so. I would, I was 17, I guess, when this game came out. And mm. um, yeah, so I, I don't, yeah, I don't really remember what I was playing, but it wasn't this. Uh, yeah. and it wasn't, <laughs> um, it wasn't really on my radar for a long time until way in the early days of Tales from the Backlog, we used to open every episode with a, like, what are you playing lately segment? Mm-hmm. And a former guest on the show, Adelaide, brought up Killer7 um, back in, I think it was the Silent Hill 2 episode. Uh, that's what she was playing at the time. And she described it, and I was like, that sounds really, really unique and cool. And while she was talking, I looked up screenshots, and I was like, oh, that looks really fucking cool. So mm-hmm. I put it on the Steam wish list. I think I bought it pretty soon after that. But what actually made me want to say, okay, let's let's push this, let's do it, let's play it, was uh, on Fine Time, your podcast, you had a two-part series on the Capcom 5 that I thought was like a really excellent series that y'all did, and it really pushed uh, Killer7 up the queue. Well, shit, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed those episodes. Um, I really, I really worked hard on them and I really, we, we had the idea kicking around for a long time, but we didn't want to do it till it was right. Cause we're going to play four whole ass games, you know? So, and kind of talk about them in a single kind of unified format, which is not easy to do all the time. Right. So I, I'm glad you enjoyed the results and it made you want to play killer seven. Cause easily that was our favorite of the, of the five secretly four because one didn't come out but yes (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah so uh that gave me the push to play it and i uh to get into some opening thoughts here i come out of this experience thinking like number one i thought it was a really fun game to play i enjoyed the gameplay quite a bit uh there is really nothing like it it struck me as like a very arcadey game and i appreciated that in the way the gameplay is designed I came out of it also thinking that there, again, there's nothing like this game. I have never played another game that that looks or plays like this or deals with the weird-ass story and characters in a way that this game does. Uh, this is a weirdo game in the best way, I think. Um, I will get into it. I also, like, I thought the story was kind of interesting, but I also had a lot of trouble following the story. 
but that didn't detract from the overall experience uh, of it. Just very, very memorable game and one that will stick in my memory because I'm not likely to play another game like it. Yeah, it's, I mean, memorable, you nailed it. There's just, there really isn't anything like that. And it's very rare that you can just say, this is wholly unique unto itself, because Killer7 is, whether you like it or not. And I was, here's the thing. The reason why I suggested this to you, like, for us to do this, because I said to you, even if you don't like this game, you're going to find it really, really interesting, at mm-hmm. the very least, you know? And you ended up liking the game, so which which is good. Um, so we don't have to argue about it, but like, it's like, um, yeah, I, I did. I just knowing you and knowing your taste, I thought you would find it interesting and I'm glad you did. Yeah, for sure. So we are going to take a little music break. And when we come back, we are going to set up the story of killer seven. Killer 7 takes place in an alternate version of Earth, uh, real world, real countries, alternate history type thing. It takes place in the early 21st century. In 1998, in the game's story, there was a treaty that ended all international conflict. All nuclear weapons were destroyed by firing them into the upper atmosphere and blowing them up with other missiles. Uh, Fun strategy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, just like that. That seems like it could go wrong, but you know, hey, whatever. exactly. What what could go wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, This uh, event becomes known as Fireworks with a capital F, and it symbolizes world peace to the general populace. And in an effort to combat terrorism and pandemics and cyber terrorism and all of those fun things, a committee shuts down all air travel and public use of the internet. Fun. Yeah. Air transportation is replaced by a system of intercontinental expressways. Uh, However, there's a new terrorist group called the Heaven Smile that appears targeting the United Nations and this international ethics committee. So... Already, we have this interesting, you know, real world alternate history set up uh, in a game released in 2005 centered around terrorism. <laughs> hey, hey, Dave, remember back in 2005 when games were not political at all? Right. You know how we make everything political nowadays, Dave. Everything Don't you know has that? To be political. And why, why can't we go back to the, the glory days when there were no politics in video games? Right? <laughs> It's just, oh man! I mean, look, it's always silly when people say that, but it it becomes especially silly when you go back and play a game like this. I mean, like yeah. everyone always goes to like a Metal Gear or something, which obviously is an easy target, but you don't have to look that far, you know? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I think this is like a super like interesting alternate reality because like you and by the way they lay all of this on you in like one cutscene, all of this yeah. information they just mm-hmm. tell you this in like one anime cutscene. and oh by the way i don't know when else i'm gonna have a time to mention this we both played the steam port yeah the anime cutscenes are obviously still very gamecube quality like this is the most yes. gamecube ass gamecube port you could ever have Yes. This almost, I mean, I almost never advocate for this. This almost seems like a case for AI to like kind of clean this oh, up. to upscale it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's at like fucking what, like 480p or whatever resolution yeah. the GameCube yeah. was running on. It looked real yeah. bad blown up on my, uh, my monitor. Mm-hmm. And just also mention like just real quick, 
it is uh it felt like a lazy pc port they didn't even change the buttons in the tutorials from the gamecube <laughs> buttons for nope for playing on mouse and keyboard they didn't change it at all i had to figure out the controls for myself do you like how you still save to like slot a and slot b <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so anyway back to the story anyway um yeah, you, like you said, that that is an aspect of the game I didn't really think about at the time, believe it or not. I just, maybe just because it was the times, but like, you know, the Iraq war was happening. There wasn't really end in sight, any mm-hmm. end in sight at that point. And it was just like, you know, W was settling into his second term. It just felt like the times, you know, Killer 7, even though it was like an alternate reality. It was weird. But it just kind of, you know, back then, maybe I just didn't really think of it that way. But like, yeah, Killer7 really did reflect the tenor of the time. But yeah, 18 years removed from it. Now me playing it in 2023. Uh, yeah, that it's it's pretty apparent. Yeah, it's obvious. It's it's kind of like, well, you're, you're going to make a game based on what's going on in the real world. Well, the real world was obsessed with terrorism back in the early 2000s. Yeah. Everything was, everything was such. And, um, you know, one of my favorite things, and this is just one of the many reasons why I love Killer7. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is seeing America, and, and, and in this case, American, like, political conflict through the eyes of Japanese people, I guess yeah. you could say. Um, cause, and Suda51 is especially good at this because he seems to enjoy, like, almost like taking a hatch at the Japanese culture. Like, there's a, there's a character in this game that's like a bit, like a complete anime stereotype. It's like the girl with the big eyes and purple hair and she has yep. a machine gun. She has like mm-hmm. the, the crazy intros, like the crazy, almost like shonen anime intros. Like, I fight for justice and power and like, et cetera. <laughs> almost like, a, I guess maybe it's more magical girl, but like, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it has like fake Power Rangers, like fake ass Power Rangers. I guess we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, of course. But Suda, it's clear that Suda51 has like this deep understanding of America, too. Because yeah. like, and I'll give you an example. You know how like when you get to the Cloud Man uh, stage, I guess you could say? Yeah, the one and in Texas. The one yeah. in Texas um, with uh, Mr. Ulmeda. And uh, the it starts out with the anime sequence with the guy saying, well, we don't get too many black folk around here, like talking to Gar- Garcia Smith, mm-hmm. the main character. That's not something you usually hear from a Japanese game. That's something you hear from an American game, you yep. know, because they know what Texas is like or whatever, or certain parts of Texas, I should say. Yeah. But like for, for that to come from a Japanese game is a real special understanding of America, I think. Yeah, that's something that a long time ago I gave credit to Earthbound for having a similar kind of understanding of uh, America and like the things that they were kind of referencing in that game. And it's something that I uh, took points away from Final Fantasy 15 for just being like a, a theme park of Wild West <laughs> stereotypes. It kind, uh, it kind of is, yeah. The beginning of that game. But yeah, um, that's that's a good point to uh, to bring up and it when done right, it is uh, impressive. And there was never a point in this, like you might get from a Kojima game, 
uh, at some points where you're playing this, you're like, they don't know anything about the US, which is <laughs> sometimes like you play a Metal Gear Solid and you're like, is, does Kojima know how the government works here? I don't at think all? he does. But uh, yeah, you're right. This There seems to be an understanding here uh, for sure. I played Death Stranding about a year and a half ago, and the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So in Killer 7, you control a group of assassins. They are called the Killer 7 because there are seven of them. Uh, they're the only ones who are able to take on this this terrorist group called the Heaven Smile. They're, Heaven Smile is not like a group of fighters they are like they're a supernatural force they are monsters basically they're it's not like a you know a terrorist group as we might think of them in the real world like yeah is that that a good description for heaven smile i think so yeah they are they are creatures not like we are the heaven smiles responsible for this you know yeah right. they do that too there's some of that too or at least it's hinted at you don't really see a whole lot of it but like yeah they are a bunch of monsters yeah i've got Final Fantasy VII on the brain because I'm playing the remake again. And it, it's not Avalanche we're talking about here. This, <laughs> no. they're, they're monsters. They're the enemies in this game. Killer Seven are the only ones that are capable of taking them down. Killer Seven are these seven personas or projections, kind of, of a man named Harmon Smith. And all seven of them are different characters. They all have different sets of skills, they have different personalities. Uh, so we'll just run through them real quick. Uh, we mentioned Garcian Smith, who is kind of like the public-facing persona for the um, the Killer Seven. Uh, he's a black man, wears a suit, um, you know, real clean cut, unlike a lot of the rest of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> if if he he as cold as he is, he's the normal one, which is yeah. like <laughs> you know he, he's the he's the one who like yeah you you would see and you'd be like oh that's just a just a normal guy you know yeah. like a professional assassin almost. Dan Smith is a combat-focused Irish-American persona. Uh, the next one, I believe it's pronounced Kaede Smith, is a yeah, Japanese Kaede. woman. Yeah. She can reveal hidden things around the environment. She has a sniper pistol. Kevin Smith is a shirtless British muscle dude, uh, not to be confused with Jay and Silent Bob, Kevin Smith. And he really means silent, folks. A man doesn't speak a single word. <laughs> yep. Um, Coyote Smith is a Latino thief character con smith is a chinese uh blind uh, blind youngest of the group and smallest of the group which kind of plays into his traversal abilities or puzzle solving abilities mm -hmm. and the last one is called mask de smith and uh, mask is a mexican luchador wrestler fun fact the surname smith was given because suda 51 loves the band the smiths so <laughs> me and suda 51 fist bump love it you know, I have a confession right now to make here on Tales from the Backlog. I'm a huge Morrissey, like, solo Ooh. material guy. I have never really gotten into the Smiths. Like, I've never, I've just never listened. Obviously, I know, like, the hits, if you want to call them that. Right. You know, but, like, I've never really, like, explored that discography. Also, I really like Johnny Marr. I like all his projects throughout the year. So, oh, yeah, of course he's on this, right? I've just never explored the Smiths. I have no idea why I haven't done that. Interesting. Yeah, I, I recommend it. I really like the Smiths, uh, the band, especially if you're already on board with Morrissey and the things that he sings about and stuff like that. Yeah, check them out. Yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge Morrissey person. So like, yeah, I, I don't know why. That, um, you know, when you were talking about uh, Con Smith there, 
You know, it just made me think of one of the presentation aspects of the game that I really enjoyed is that, like, yeah. you know how when you have to, as Con Smith, like, get into a small space and a little cutscene where he does, like, a little flip, a little acrobatic, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, under something. I mm-hmm. love that shit. There's That's a lot of so- flair. There's a lot of flair. Even when you reload your gun, it's like a cutscene. You know, it has to show the whole character doing it. Yeah, I I was going to bring this up because, like, we have these characters. We have these seven Smiths, basically. And then Harmon, who's the the main person. But you don't play as Harmon for more than a few seconds at a time. You play as the seven. Uh, You can switch between them whenever you want. But, like, so they're kind of the main characters. But they don't talk to people outside of, like, each character might get a couple of cutscenes. And Garcian gets more as the story goes on. But, like... You, maybe you get like one cutscene of Dan talking to somebody or like one of Coyote talking to somebody. The rest of their personality is given through these animations that they have, the abilities that they have and stuff like that. So I, I'm glad you brought up the um, like those animations for reloading. Uh, the other thing that gives them the personality, uh, like a direct window into them as a person is when you shoot one of the heaven smiles on their weak spot which we'll talk about in the gameplay, but bring it up now. They all have one like bespoke line of dialogue, like a a little quip they give when they, when you hit the weak spot on an enemy. Yes. And that's like, for me, the defining audio of this game. And the thing that has never left me over the years was (laughs) especially Coyote Smith's when he hits a weak point, it's like a, I'll do my best. It's like a, Oh, you're fucked. (laughs) <laughs> he really he really enunciates your fucked yes very very he got up to the micro fucked it's yeah. very it's very satisfying maybe that's why yeah. i pick him the most i just love to hear that uh i do like consmiths fuck you it's like very childish fuck you yep. you know it is very very teenager yeah there's two that i i found myself like while playing this i would walk around the house saying to myself and sometimes saying to the dog and stuff like that. It was Coyotes and then Garcian's where he just goes, son of a bitch. Real smooth. (laughs) He's very resigned to it. Son of a bitch. This is like the, this is the 1500th uh, heaven smile he's (laughs) killed, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It, it gives all this stuff gives the, all the seven so much personality, even, um, even Kevin Smith, who doesn't say a single word, he looks so distinct and he looks so he almost looks dead. He almost looks like a zombie, yeah. you know, compared to the rest of the cast. He's wearing sunglasses. He doesn't say a word in the whole game. And it's like any but he has my favorite power, the invisibility. Right. Because there is some there is some bullshit enemies that I just kind of like doop de doop, like sneak past. Yeah. <laughs> I put that invincibility up to like five and just like, you know, got past everybody. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, like everything else that they could have done to distinguish the seven Smiths from each other, from character designs, backgrounds, their animations when they run, their animations when they're just standing still, the way they hold their guns, everything's different between them. It's just you don't hear them talk very often. Yeah. And it's just, but they all, they're all memorable in that way. They give you just enough. Yeah. By the way, I never really got that Dan Smith was supposed to be an Irish-American kind of persona. He didn't really give that feeling to me. He was just kind of a dude. He just just looked like a dude. dude. He stepped out of a manga to me. So, like, I don't know. 
he just had that he had that main character look to him. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so and his uh his his kill line, he just goes, This is too easy. That's all it is. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like it's not as it's not fuck you, you know, so you're not gonna, you're not going to remember yeah. it exactly. It's but it's not you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, Can I say that I loved using uh, Kaede Smith's power? It is literally a fountain of blood. She like what? She like slits her wrist and just like, blood just fountains from the just everywhere to reveal a wall which i mean it's a weird way to reveal the wall i bet anyone who's yes. never even laid eyes on this game is thinking like what the hell are you talking about you have to create a <laughs> fountain of blood to like move past invisible walls yes you do that is yeah. killer seven <laughs> yeah i'm not i wasn't clear on like where the blood comes from but yeah it's it's real weird um i i was tempted like wondering if that comes from like her backstory or something i don't think it does it's just a weird power yeah yeah i don't i don't think it does either with but me actually no never mind i can't say that yet we have to go behind the spoiler <laughs> curtain for that never mind yeah i'll hold that thought for later speaking of weird uh the seven also run into a couple of recurring npcs throughout the game uh, three main ones, you have Yunhyun, who is kind of like a hint system in the game. You can pay some of your blood currency to get a hint for whatever puzzle's going on. Uh, you have Travis, who is this uh, tank top wearing dude who's just kind of lounging around a lot of places you go. Travis gives you backstory on like what's going on in the world. And then you have uh, this, this spe- if there was a mascot for this game, it's probably Iwazaru. Iwazaru is wearing this red kind of gimp costume. His, <laughs> yep. his eyes are sewn shut. It's a real, it's a real design. It, it's something that like, oh, someone's been thinking about this design for a long time. Mm. <laughs> and Iwazaru is there to kind of like set your missions in motion and just kind of, you, you go and talk to him and he just, he half talks about like what's going on, but the other half is just telling you how fucked everything is and how, you're in a tight spot. <laughs> this is bad. This is really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, master, we're in trouble. Do you like um do you like how he just pieces out during Cloud Man? Because he's like, oh man, afros are weird. I better go. <laughs> so he just, he's, not th- he's just like not there. And it's just like, okay, that was that was strange. I guess. Ibasaru, oh, you need to explore your feelings on this. This is yeah. not good. <laughs> anyway. Um like I do like that um I'm sorry I can never pronounce the uh Yun 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 Yun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really bad at uh, at saying that one. Um he I like that if you do take the hint from him, he just has permanent double fingers like right at you. It's like, yes. oh, you poor bastard. You had to use my hint, you piece of shit. Here you go. The, <laughs> the game makes you feel really shitty for wanting the hint, you know, and this is a, this is obviously before that. Well, I guess like stuff like game FAQs existed or whatever. But like if you wanted that in-game hint, they really made you feel like an asshole for it, which is funny. Yeah, there are good hints, though. So they, they usually help. Yeah, they are pretty helpful. Um, Ibasaru to me, it sort of defines the game though. As you said, he's like, if you say, you said he's almost like the mascot. Travis as well, cause Travis has all the gossip. He has all the lore. Also, mm-hmm. 
Travis is great because, like you said, his tank tops, it always has a different word saying, like, you know, sexual or like, you know, yeah. uh, Bronco. It always has some some <laughs> phrase on it. You know, it's just like, what what the hell is going on? Yeah, they're always it. funny. Yeah. Sometimes just as killer. Did you know someone took all the files from the actual game, all his shirts and like turned them into shirts on like Redbubble or whatever, oh. like the actual like, you know, like, yeah. yeah. So if you want that shirt that says sexual or whatever and Grasshopper Manufacturer tweeted and said, hey, we're totally cool with this. Go nice. go buy these shirts. Hell yeah. Like, awesome. So Good that on was them. yeah, that was that was great. That they did that anyway. Ibizaru is the mascot of the game to me as well he's it's he's weird it's cryptic it's often funny and super interesting i always wanted to hear what he had to say even though it made no sense at all sometimes it's fantastic he is the soul of the game to me iwazaru yeah and iwazaru is a good point to kind of jump into like i said in the beginning i had a lot of trouble following the story um this is one thing that makes it tough is is Iwazaru and Travis and Yunhyun and other NPCs that you meet. Um, there are some other recurring ones, but I don't know their names and they're not like, well, I don't want to say they're not important, but they're not as important, not as central to uh, the delivery of the story. All of yeah, them. Those are the three, really. Yeah. They don't have real voice acting like the Smiths do. They talk in this warbled um, gibberish, basically, uh, sometimes you'll you'll pick out a word or something like that if you're reading along with what they're saying, which you should be because you will not understand them. <laughs> so this this is one of the things, and along with the storytelling, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, I had a lot of trouble focusing during these. Um, I have some trouble with attention. And so I have trouble with attention during games where they're speaking English. So when we have this where it's it's not a real language, it's just warbled nonsense that they're speaking. I had trouble paying attention. Uh, sometimes Iwazaru sticks around and you can talk to him again. Sometimes he just pieces out. So if he said something important, that was lost forever for me. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the story got lost because of that. Um, I understand what you mean. I think sometimes it would be detrimental if you could talk to Iwazaru when he said something like really out of date, I guess, is why they kind of make him disappear. It's not it's an imperfect system, but I think they did that for a reason, not just like, well, you missed it, you right. know, but um, as for the gibberish speak, it's it's obviously an artistic choice because they're dead. You know, the yeah. dead people speak that way. The people right. who are alive have actual voice acting, but most of the people you talk to are dead. So, you know, right. and then, of course, if you talk to somebody that was alive before they had voice acting and they are no longer alive then you know they're going to speak to you in that in that gibberish manner which right, i right. which i don't know i think it's a great artistic touch i understand what you're saying though about following along yeah yeah it's it, it's tough and and maybe it makes me a bad podcaster for not giving 100% of my attention but i am only human I'm, i suppose i could have gone and watched it all on youtube but i didn't really want to do that it's part of this nah. podcast is the goal of this podcast is not to fully explain and fully explore the story of killer seven uh we're talking about our experiences playing it so that's part of my experience the other part of it is that the story while it has a relatively simple understandable setting and setup like we brought up before it then goes into 
complete fantasy land told in very weird, nonlinear and confusing ways. We have a political storyline about the relationship between countries. We have a storyline about elections. We have the story of the Smith syndicate and how they came to be. And then we have multiple smaller stories about all of the different characters that you meet and how they get into the position that they are now, or maybe you meet them and maybe they die. Maybe you kill them and then they become a, a different type of character later in the game. There's a lot going on in the story. I probably picked up on what I consider to be the most the easiest part, which is what happened to the Smith syndicate. How did they come to be? I got that part. But the the political stuff, I had a really hard time following it. Um, And then some of the other kind of like other storylines, I went to read the Wikipedia entry after I finished the game. And I was like, holy shit, that was going on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's it's a lot. It is a lot. But quite frankly, I don't think you're supposed to pick up on every detail because they didn't make it in such a way where you're supposed to. I'm not sure any of us are supposed to care that much. I feel like it's one of those things where you're supposed to just kind of let it wash over you, you know? It's vibes over substance, I guess, if I want to put it in a short way. And I know people think that's like sometimes derogatory to say to something that's like super stylized. That doesn't mean that it has no substance. Uh It's just that, like, I don't know. I'll put it this way, since I compare everything to 90s hip hop and I'll do so again. Uh So, like, (laughs) Busta Rhymes is like my one of my favorite rappers of all time. Not my absolute favorite, but he's like top five. Right. That man had absolutely nothing to say in those raps. (laughs) Dave, Nothing like I Uh. dare you to tell me what put your hands where my eyes could see is about. Do you know what that song's about? Because I don't, and it doesn't <laughs> matter. It's it's pretty words, right? That's how I kind of feel about Killer7. It's just a cool vibe that you enjoy in video game form. If I want real storytelling, I'll turn to something else, you know? Like, Killer7, mm. yeah, you'll get something. You'll get something. But don't come here thinking you're going to get some, like, nice, concise, tight story it's too weird for all of that and it doesn't make any attempt to tie it together you know it's the buster yes buster Ry- killer seven is the buster rhymes of video games that was that's yeah. my uh, statement for today i like that i like that if i clipped stuff for social media that would be the clip but i don't do it so <laughs> every, everyone who listens to the episode will they'll be the only ones who get to enjoy that <laughs> i like that as soon as you brought up buster rhymes i was like you're right i'm just kind of bobbing along to the to the rhythm that he's going with, you know, mm-hmm. in his songs. Yeah, I don't go to Buster Rhymes for lyricism, for sure. Nope. <laughs> I do think that this game does have things to say, especially with that political storyline. Um, I don't feel like, I just don't feel like they would make this setting and go through the trouble of having this kind of like uh, political and... Um, what's the international relations based storyline if if there was no thing that Suda 51 wanted to say there but i had a really hard time connecting with it um i i think i can see where it is but like i just couldn't follow and it it's i think it's like if i go on wikipedia and read it i can follow it it's not like it's too confusing or too smart or something like that it's purely the way the story is delivered i didn't know what like timeline i was in half the time in this game (laughs) let alone being able to piece together you know 
all of these moving parts in this like developing story of international relations. Yeah. Games are not political though, Dave. I, I need to remind you of this again. Uh, that, that, okay? Yeah, you're right. I should, I should back down here. That's right. Game, <laughs> games, games only became political in the last like five years or so. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I totally hear you. I guess, I guess for me, maybe this will, this will explain it better. I never actually tried at some, I don't think at any point during this game, even my original playthrough, I ever was like, okay, that's going to come around to this. Or what does that mean for that? I just kind of took, I literally just took every scene as Mm -hmm. just its own thing from the get go. And so maybe that's why I never like got too confused about it because I never tried to understand it. Yeah. So I maybe I think I just came at it from a totally different perspective. Well, this could you could experience it this way, and if you do, you will be left with just a a collection of very memorable scenes, very creative characters, memorable people, and memorable scenes uh, that happen. Because there there is a lot of stuff like later in the spoiler section, we we're gonna just kind of rapid fire through some some memorable stuff that happens and. We've got some real weird you mentioned the knockoff Power Rangers earlier there's a whole chapter about them <laughs> yep. like there's a bunch of memorable stuff and memorable in a way where like this is clearly a game uh, something I give like the the Kojima games credit for and all the others where there's like a you know Kojima doesn't make Metal Gear Solid games by himself but those are his visions and this game is Suda 51's vision and you will never mistake it for anything other than that yeah it is it is totally just his yeah you know and like i said actually um uh, about a year and a half ago i did play death stranding which i did enjoy um for the most part there were some things about it that i found really obnoxious but like for the most part i enjoyed it just because it was so fucking weird yes it was so <laughs> you know like and that's all i really wanted from it and that's what i got and Killer7 is the same way. And you were talking about scenes, like scenes that happen, like cool scenes and like other stuff. It's like, whoa, that was weird. And I think that really illustrates how I think about this game. Like there's that – I mean I'm not going to go into too many details here because I don't want to spoil. But there's a boardroom scene with two Japanese businessmen. Mm-hmm. That starts a chapter and they're saying stuff like, you know, for 65 years, he worked so hard to restore this country. And now it's all going up in smoke again because of this current conflict or whatever. And it's like, by the way, games are not political, everybody. And, again, yeah. um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's that thing, right? There's a deadly game of Mahjong. Do you remember mm-hmm. that one? Four guys playing Mahjong. Yep. Okay. There's the fitness club scene where Dan Smith kind of has this moment against uh, Curtis Blackburn, a few mm-hmm. uh, a, a villain in the game, and he's saying stuff to him in vagaries. And I'm glad this was vague because he's they're talking about orphans and shit. And he's like, "Well, he only takes the girls and stuff like that." And I'm like, "Whoa! I'm glad to not know any more about this. That's yep. that's that's fine." Um, by the way, do you like the reoccurring bit of uh, the guy calling Garcia on the phone, dear Mister Smith? Have you decided on your vote? Uh, yeah. If you haven't, let the Republican Party make use of your precious vote. Thank you and have a nice day. I loved it. I I, yeah. I didn't feel right if I didn't hear that to begin a chapter in Garcia's exactly. trailer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All of those and like, you know, there's there's more stuff that we're going to save for the spoiler section. We've been talking about the story for a while now. 
Um, but there is a lot of like individual stuff that I do think like if someone puts in the work, I've seen, I've seen like, uh, what's, what's the word? Uh, fuck thumbnails of YouTube <laughs> videos of people who did put in the work. Um, I didn't watch any of the videos just, you know, didn't grab me that way. But I, I do think that if you're going to put in the work, I think that you could come out of this with like a, a very clear story like that. But for me, and it sounds like for you too, this, this will exist as like a collection of very memorable scenes, um, that, that stick out and they're, they're cool. They're weird and everything in between. Yeah. And that's all, that's what I came for. And that's what I got. So I, 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 I fortunately came with the right mentality to this game from the beginning. Yep. So let's talk about one of the other things that's really striking about Killer7, which is the way that it looks. Um, I This, just first of all, this is a game that if you look at screenshots of video games, you will never miss the Killer7 screenshot. Like you'll, you could give me a thousand <laughs> screenshots of a thousand different games. I will find the Killer7 screenshot if there is one. Nothing else really looks like this. It's very distinctive. Yeah. It's one of the more distinctive – I mean, I hate being so hyperbolic, but it's true. It's honestly one of the most distinctive games I've ever seen. Like, as an art style, as, like, a visual identity, as direction, I mean, like, literal camera angles and shit. Mm-hmm. It's just insane in a great way because the game is insane. Yeah. Um, I would describe these visuals as, you know, if we think back to 2005, you know – it, it was a time where you were trying to go for styles that you couldn't quite depict before in video games. Like the previous generation didn't have the fidelity to do something like Killer7, mm-hmm. right? So like, you know, yeah, we had like cell shaded stuff, right? That's where your mind goes first. Like the striking visual, I did like the, the profiles, I guess, of the characters, right? You could take that back to like stuff like Jet Set Radio if you want, but like, but then you add the dark graphic novel stuff on top of it, and then you think stuff like, you know, Sin City or 300. 300 wasn't out yet, but you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? And that, like, very political – that very polygonal – almost said political – that very political look <laughs> that Killer7 Not has. political. How many Not- times do we have to say this? <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that very polygonal look – that like Gorod shaded, you know, like no textures look to it, mm-hmm. almost looking like an old Virtua Fighter, like Virtua Fighter, but spooky, right? Like that, like <laughs> very like that, that like it's very dark sometimes. The lighting is very moody and the color choices too are like outrageous sometimes, like just very, not just bold, but also monochrome or just pastel, whatever they're feeling like at the time. You know, and that that feels more American comics to me, right, than something like a manga, mm-hmm. obviously, because a manga is black and white. But you you know what I'm trying to say. Um, it just makes the whole thing look super surreal, which is the point of the game. So, yeah. like, mission accomplished. When art meets technology in a way like this, like, I'm trying to think of my favorites, whether it's, like, destiny or mdk or whatever whenever like the art style meets the technology fully is something that i always appreciate and killer seven is like 
for me, just on that level, like top top three for me, maybe. Yeah. And and games that have like that very stylized look to them, and especially on these older consoles, uh the the ones that are not going for photorealistic graphics or the closest that they could get at the time, stuff like Killer Seven, that is the stuff that like I played this. I already said I think it's a pretty lazy PC port. They did not do everything <laughs> they could to make it look good on a 4K screen. But the game, outside of the cutscenes, like the 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 anime cutscenes, the gameplay sections still look really, really good. Um, no complaints there whatsoever. Yeah, and obviously for this PC port, they made the game 60 frames a second. It was originally 30 on GameCube, but now that I think about it, I'm surprised a game this textureless and kind of like single camera, like, you know, fixed camera perspective was not 60. Maybe they just didn't feel like working on it. You, you mm. notice the the reload animations are still annoyingly 30? Like they they're very, they, yeah. They do kind of, st- I almost wondered if it was a stylistic choice in a game with so many other stylistic choices. It's weird. I think they just couldn't fix it in time or something because, <laughs> well, it's only noticeable because you see them so often. Usually a reload animation in the game isn't a big deal. It's a big deal in Killer 7, as we said. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. Um, porting, porting a mid 2000s GameCube game to, to, uh, Steam is, um, not always the easiest thing in the world. So I'm glad they, yeah, it's a very bare bones port. As we said, it still has like slot A, slot B saving. Like you have memory cards, even though you don't, but it works. Um, one thing I also really like about the visual identity of this game is like the artistic use of Japanese kanji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, which which is used in a variety of ways, especially like when you start a chapter, you do this thing where you do you put a laser sight over your target and then you press the A button and it just goes and they explode into like these bloody kanji. Yeah. It's so wild. It's it's amazing. And when this game came out, I knew zero kanji. Now playing in 2023, I know over a thousand kanji. So now Looking back at this game, I mm-hmm. get it. I can now you don't have to read the stuff. Obviously, I played no. the game back in the day. I just took it as like artistic flair. That's all it needs to be. But if you can read it, you it's a little bit more of a treat. It's yeah. it's fun. Nice little <laughs> bonus. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, a couple of like, if we're still talking about visuals and I agree those those um, parts with the kanji when you open up a chapter, those are striking. There's a couple of, like when you first boot up the game, the main menu is striking the the use of colors, the the cackling laughter in the background, and then you start a chapter and you get this screen where you put a laser sight on a shadow. Basically, you shoot and it ex- like you said, it explodes into these these bloody circles and they mm-hmm. form a kanji. But it's it's art it's very artistically done, uh, so it really sets the tone for like what's going to happen for the rest of the game. Um, from a gameplay perspective, I think the visual style works really, really well too. Uh, we'll talk about in gameplay. We've already mentioned you're kind of on rails in the game and you're, you can't, you don't have freedom of exploration and movement. You're going where the game lets you go and you're looking for items. It's an adventure game. So a lot of, you know, point and click adventures, you get into this, this shitty version of pixel hunting, you know, what's interactable, what's not interactable. That is not a problem in killer seven because a lot of the areas are really minimalist except for the stuff that's important, like the enemies, 
the items that you can pick up. Maybe there's this weird environmental puzzle you have to solve, but you'll know that that's the thing you have to solve because everything else is pretty, like I said, minimalist, bare bones in a good way. Yes, completely agree. I, I The clean look of the game supports the, um, like you said, adventure aspects of it, especially the fact that you they never you don't have to search for items. You just you're literally there. It's like, oh, you want to pick up this thing? Press this direction and press A. OK, you got it right. Yep. And I like that all that stuff is easy, if, if you will. So you can just kind of enjoy the killer seven. Yeah, it's one of those games where like if you explore all the rooms, if you go to all the places that are available to you, you will find all the key items you can you need pretty, pretty easily. Like there was a couple times I needed to check a guide, but it was because like there was a two way intersection. I went one way and then forgot about the intersection to go the other way or something like that. It wasn't like I went in this room, I scoured this room and there was uh, a key hidden somewhere that I couldn't. That shit never happens in Killer <laughs> 7. So much appreciated. Um, And then the heaven smile enemies, we've, we, we mentioned them before. They're the antagonists. They are the monsters that you're fighting. They all have these very cool, creepy, weird designs. Um, A lot of different designs. There's most of them are humanoid, but they look like, you know, lizards or like little Godzilla's or something like that. They all have these weird faces, these creepy smiles, but then there are a lot of other strange designs that don't map onto like traditional monster designs. There's one that's a rolling ball and there's one that's this, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I always, I always forget about them until I play the game again. It's like, Oh no. You see them. Yeah. The rolling balls. So weird. Yeah. Yeah. And they jingle like jingle bells when they're rolling. It's real weird. (laughs) Um, the, uh, there, there's another one that's like a, um, like a mass of flesh up in the ceiling that's just laying eggs. It's they're strange, but despite all of these weird designs and, you know, we mentioned minimalist design and other aspects, you're looking for the weak points to shoot them. And the weak points are very obvious, very clear, no matter what kind of heaven smile they are. I never came up against one unless they don't have a visible weak point. Mm -hmm. Never came up against one where I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. It's always just like, no, shoot that spot. Although there are a couple enemies, like you said, where I straight up did not know what the fuck to do. And even on my, like, what, third or fourth playthrough here, played a couple times on GameCube, played last year, played right now, I still don't actually really know what to do. And that's where the Kevin Smith comes in, or it's like, right. I'm just going to zip by these guys because I really don't know what to do. But I'm glad that's an option, right? They obviously knew, like, okay, if someone just wants to, like, quote unquote, cheese the game, they can. Like, if they, if you really want to. You know, and I like when games games back then kind of wanted you to work for it most of the time. Mm. But obviously, Killer 7 doesn't have a whole lot of tradition in the way of like <laughs> bosses or like, you know, like these. I mean, like it does have bosses, but do we really want to consider? I mean, not really. Right. A lot of yeah, a lot of the bosses are they're not traditional boss fights. They're more like this is a weird puzzle that you're going to have to figure out with the abilities that you have. It's not. Like, here's a regular heaven smile, but you have to shoot it 60 times instead of two. You know, it's not like that. I think the smiles are a good chance to talk about sound design, too, because that's another striking thing about the heaven smile enemies. They're invisible when you first find them, but you'll always know they're there because they do this weird <laughs> laughter. <laughs> that's how, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> how they announce themselves. 
and then you use one of your you, you right click if you're playing on keyboard and mouse to show them. And then um, once you kill them, they do this like shrieking laughter uh, when they're dead, uh, kind of like the shrieking laughter in the main menu when you first boot up the game. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, again, weird, but memorable and serves the gameplay really well. It's really cool. It's I mean, obviously, we've talked about a number of sound design things in this game, but like that, that in particular is so good because it's like it, it's so instantly I don't want to say iconic because like not enough people have played this game to have considered it that. But like right. it would be if it was popular, in which it will never be popular because it's Killer 7. But right. um, it it it's great. I love the guys who um not the not the ones that are in a ball, but the ones who do like sort of somersault somersaults towards you yes. and are just like, ha 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 It's like, oh, my God, shut up. I don't want to hear you anymore. Um but yeah, the occasionally um, uh, me and a friend still like we played the game back in the day. And when we talk now, we still give each other a <laughs> like another a heaven <laughs> smile. We still think of it every so often or a or a you're fucked. Like exactly. we, we still say that shit to each other. So yeah, it's if you want memorable, there it is. Yeah. Again, coming back up in the sound design, too. Um, The music in Killer7 is credited to Masafumi Takada, who I know personally from the God Hand soundtrack, Mm -hmm. which uh, just bops. I love it. And the Kid Icarus Uprising soundtrack, past episode of Tales from the Backlog. I don't like that game, but I do love that soundtrack. So good job to uh, to them. And then the other person credited is Jun Fukuda. Uh, So what do you think about the music in this game? I think the music in Killer 7 is really good. It's obviously very 2005. It still has that like leftover like uh jungle or like drum and bass sound to it to a lot of it. Um when you're just kind of walking around, especially in the I'm thinking of the um amusement park level where you're just kind of cruising through those hallways, those weird hallways and you hear you have that music going, it's great. It's it's that unmistakable like two thousands electronica, which it, to me is good. I like that shit, but that's fine. But you also have your you know you have like moody piano moments. You have some like creepy atmospheric stuff sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have silence when it's necessary. It's it, it's almost like Resident Evils of old, you know, like the the '90s ones where you just had this variety, this grab bag of whatever was needed at that point. There is one song in this game, though, that really slaps is when you uh, Jesus Christ, I forget the name of the place. It's when you're going to the gate to the next place and you have to go up and down stairs and all oh, of a sudden yeah. places club jam. I wrote which is that insane. in my uh, I wrote that in the notes. It's it's really like one of the only notes I wrote about the music is the Vinculum Gate dance music fucks. I love it. <laughs> Vinculum Gate. Thank you. <laughs> and it it stands out, too, because um like you had said, for a lot of the levels, there isn't music. You're you're walking around, it's it's footsteps and atmospheric sounds. You gotta hear the heaven smiles when they come up, when they do their <laughs> laughter. Mm-hmm. So um the lack of music really helps there. And then suddenly when it's time to like go to the boss, you go to this special place, you go up and down these stairs, and this bumping dance music is playing, and like you're only in that room for like 10 seconds, but I'm sitting here bobbing my head. And then you have to go back through that to go, you know, to the end of the level. And I'm waiting to go back in there because I can get that hit of that song again. I love it. 
I like how when you're giving the guy the soul, the the things like you can hear it from the outside. It's like a version where it's like you're yeah. outside the club. Exactly. And you hear yeah. the booming bass or whatever. It's like you can kind of hear it. I love when games do that. Yeah. Uh, so it it's good. But you can stand there and listen to it. It's it's great. It is a full ass song. You can listen yeah. to it for more than the 10 seconds. So I have listened you to wanna, it on YouTube. In fact, any, yeah. <laughs> anytime you want to shut up and jam, you can. uh you can stand there and listen to it. But no, I think the the music in this game is really good. Like you said, it's it's not always like music music, you know, sometimes it's atmospheric stuff, but that counts too. That's always oh, yeah, good. So, you know, I I really enjoyed it. It seems to me like other than that that dance track, a lot of the music like it works to set the mood of wherever you are or whatever is happening. And this is a game with a bunch of other like really loud aesthetic choices and the music is one of the more like not traditional because nothing in this game is super traditional Mm -hmm. but the music does kind of hang back and let the other stuff take the center stage i guess for sure totally agree well let's uh let's listen to that vinculum gate uh dance track here and when we come back we're going to talk about the gameplay in killer seven So we have kind of touched on the gameplay a little bit. Killer7 is a very arcadey, on-rails game. Not a rail shooter in the sense that you are only moving forward, but you, you can control if you go forward. You can turn around and run backward. You have free reign over the tracks that they've laid out in these levels. So say like you're exploring a school, you can run down the hallway. Sometimes it'll give you the option to go into classrooms, but if you go past a classroom and they don't want you to go in there, it won't even give you the option to interact. You'll just keep Mm -hmm. running. So you don't have free reign. You are on rails. I I think this is another one of those design decisions where they have a certain thing they want you to do. They have certain things that they want you to find certain like things, puzzles that you're going to be working on. They want you to focus on the important stuff. Um, I, I think that taking away all of this control helps. Yeah, because like imagine this game where you could roam around wherever you want. You would get so lost because a lot of the areas, I mean, like they're showing you exactly what they want you to show you for a reason. This I will try to avoid getting into one of my rants about how we need to take back the control of the camera from video games. But that's that's another that's another (laughs) thing. Um, I it will surely frustrate some people who will probably just think, why can't I just go over there? The answer is most likely there's nothing to see there. Yeah. The answer can be also they don't want you to see that yet or whatever, which is fine. But I think that will be the thing. And I think that's why this game – I mean, I think everyone who has played the game likes it because you got to be a certain type of person to even, like, seek this out. But – 
I don't. That's why I don't think this game could ever have been a mainstream hit because of the, that adherence to its adventure game roots. Can you imagine? I swear, it feels like under the wrong publisher, it would have just been like, well, why isn't this a first person shooter? Or why mm. isn't that? You know, like I feel like this game could have been easily ruined by a number of people. Electronic Arts. So like, I just don't. I just don't. Um, <laughs> I like that it was allowed to be what it is, I guess. I like that you just kind of move from place to place on rails, and it's just that. Yeah, and it is a first-person shooter, but only when you're holding your gun. The rest of it's in third person, so you get to see your character run. You have these dramatic camera angles and stuff like that. So I I agree with you. I, I think that like one of the reasons that they did it this way is because they only want you to focus on the important stuff. Ask yourself if you're one if you're playing this and wondering why it is this way. Would you have preferred to be able to interact with every door and they just say, "Oh, the door's busted." Is that better? I don't think it is. They just no. remove all that shit. Like I'm thinking of uh Silent Hill or something like that where there's tons of doors but you can only interact with like 30% of them. So mm-hmm. this game just says, "Now you're not interacting with the ones that aren't important. Just move on." Yeah. So, basically what you're doing is you again, you do have free reign of where you go. So you're making your way through these levels, doing backtracking from time to time, doing these adventure game puzzles. And a lot of what you're doing in the meantime, like from point A to point B, is since you're on these tightly controlled tracks, they have these tightly designed combat encounters set up where sometimes there are a certain number of heaven smiles there. Sometimes uh, Heaven Smiles will continuously respawn if you take too long in one area. But again, you'll always know that they're there because you'll hear that sound cue. What you have to do is you have to stop. You can't run and shoot. You have to stop, pull up your weapon. Hey, Resident Evil 4, Capcom 5, stop and (laughs) shoot. You have to stop, pull out your gun, right click to like scan the environment and reveal the smile that's out there waiting and then kill it. Sometimes combat can get a bit repetitive because the smiles, all they're basically doing is running at you. There are very few long range attacks in the game. Most of what they do is just run up. And if they touch you, they explode. Some of them kill you in one hit. Most of them don't. And it depends on what character you're using too, uh, how badly you get hurt. But that's what you're doing. You you go through these hallways, shooting the weak points, uh, instant kills the heaven smiles, and you get to... (laughs) absorb blood uh it's kind of like (laughs) your ring the bell everybody but it's kind of like um it's your currency but it can also be used to heal you so i I guess i'm not gonna do the dark souls reference but that's how you get money in the game using blood uh so you get those from killing the smiles and you get more blood from hitting the weak spots for those instant kills yeah it's it's a very interesting type of of um how do i say it I, recursive is not the right term I want. It, I I like it basically because you can spend that currency, if you will, the way you want, because you can use that stuff to upgrade your guys. You can upgrade the ones that you want. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they do have stoppers in place to like, cause like when you go back to the TV, by the way, you like, if you're in the save room, you can select your, uh, your next Smith on a, on a really old TV, which I mean, just talk about, talk about aesthetic, but Mm -hmm. like, I mean, 
You can also go there to have the blood guy turn in your blood. But at some point during a chapter, he might just put up the, hey, that's enough blood. He puts up the close sign for the day. And it's like, nope, mm-hmm. you can't do any more of that. Yeah, you can, so you can grind a little bit, but there's a point where they'll be like, okay, that's enough. And you're not leveling up anymore in this level. Yeah, which which is good. I, I liked it. I like that they had a cute little way of like, you know, hey, I'm on break now. No, yeah. um, to, to do that. <laughs> And um, I like that that's also the way you restore your health. I always <laughs> – these days I always get dumb and just call it the woke eye, the fucking Illuminati eye. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like it shows your it shows your health, which is weird. I like the sound effect it makes. So when you get full, it has this like very energized, like electronic, like brrr, like this buzzer sound. I can't mm-hmm. even begin to imitate it. But I that's another piece of aspect of – um Sound design I enjoy. But the fact that that's also used for your special moves, the thing that reveals your life is also like the currency you use to do like have Kevin turn invisible or have Dan do the Hellion shot or whatever. Yeah. I like that. I like that about the game, I guess, that it's the same pool. Yeah. I like it's in, in if, if anyone's listening and thinking like, oh, well, I'm, I'm using the same resource for like three different things. Do you ever feel like you're not getting enough? The answer is no. I never felt that way. Um, you don't get enough to fully level up all of the smiths or even level up all the skills on one or two of them. Uh, but you'll quickly find your favorites. And like the general advice that I came up with is like find one or two that you really like of the smith characters, level them up, you know, level up their damage, level up their health, stuff like that. And then keep everybody else like a little bit lower, you know, but you don't have to worry about a situation where like you need all of your smiths at max level or something like that. It's not that kind of game. Yeah, it's not that kind of game. Also, there's very there isn't a whole lot of situations where they make you play as a particular one. Right. You know, that happens on very rare occasions, but it's not very – and if even if it does, you're not going to be, like, underpowered or you're going to be fucked if you if you don't – if you're going to – I'm sorry, you're going to be fucked if you, you. if you don't uh, – <laughs> if you uh, – if your guy is underpowered, like, say you haven't powered up K-Day or something like that, you're not going to be like, oh, no, they're making me play this one little section of her, I'm screwed. That's not going to be the case. Yeah. Sometimes at the beginning of levels, you'll only have access to like two or three of the smiths. And by killing enemies, you'll gain access to the other ones. So you will get all of them at a certain point in all the levels. So as you're going, if a character dies, then you start back at the save room at the TV. You pick another smith um, and you have two choices. You can pick Garcian and try to go back to the spot where the last person died Garcian's big ability is he can revive the other smiths. Uh, so if you get back there, there's a nice cutscene of him picking up this bloody burlap sack and <laughs> reviving uh, the smith. Or you can just take on another persona and continue on with the level. I never did that. I always just took Garcian out. You're never that far away from a save room anyway. So go ahead and do that. Yeah. Also, that is the only way you can game over if Garcian dies. Because if you're out there trying to revive your get your other guy and he dies, that's how you, that's the only time you'll have to reload your save. Gotcha. 
Yeah. yeah. So that that can happen. It's it's rare because the game isn't that difficult. And also, you know exactly where the meat bag is. Right. Right. Yeah. But um, and also I meant to say this during um earlier, but it's I guess it's more of a gameplay thing. So I'm glad I forgot until now. The fact that like just story wise, a camera will be on you and then Garshin will change into one of the other personas. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that's one aspect of like story or whatever that I actually do wish I knew a lot more about. Yeah, like same. why did why did that happen? <laughs> yeah, like there's a bunch of surveillance cameras as there is in life anywhere, right? So like, let's say you're walking up to a gas station, and then all of a sudden the game will cut to the perspective of that camera of him walking into the gas station, and then he'll just change into Dan Smith or whatever for some reason. I understand sometimes it does that because that's the person who's going to talk in the next cutscene, so right. it needs to be that person. But sometimes it'll happen for seemingly no reason. They just want you to play this little section of the game is that that character i guess and it's like mm-hmm. okay i guess it's weird yeah. i don't know so the different smiths we mentioned they all have different like out of combat abilities but they all they all well you play similar because they all have guns but they all have a role to play and like you have seven characters and i definitely had my favorites but this is not a game where i only used my favorites there was always a situation for the other characters. So I'll just run through them real quick. Dan has just a really powerful pistol. Um, He has a charge shot combat ability. That's his special ability. Uh, Kaede fights with a sniper pistol. So there are situations where you need to shoot something that's really far away. Uh, There's a couple of like, you know, quote boss fights where you need that. (laughs) Um, And then she also has that ability where she can reveal hidden walls and stuff like that. Kevin can turn invisible and he fights with throwing knives and he can throw them really quickly. Uh, So that helps. Coyote can pick locks out in the environment, which is really, I mean, essential. It's not great. It's essential. (laughs) Yes. You got to have it. Coyote has another pistol. Khan can run really, really fast in his special move. He has two special moves. Uh, He can fit through small places. He can also run even faster. That's his like power up Mm -hmm. Uh, and he fights with double pistols so if you have a situation where you need to shoot something quickly and a lot you can use con and then mask has these two hand cannon like grenade launcher type guns and you can destroy some walls and stuff in the environment and i love i love this you can do wrestling moves on stuff (laughs) in the environment so like let's say there's a stack of two by fours blocking a door the way you get rid of it is mask will pile drive those into the ground because <laughs> he's a wrestler. That's so ridiculous. It's the it kind is. of thing, honestly, that I did not think about at all back in the day. I didn't bat a single eyelash. I was like, sure, he can, he can pile drive the two by fours. Okay. Yeah. You know, but now I think <laughs> about how ridiculous it is nowadays. But like when I was like 23 or whatever, it's like, ah, you know, so what? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of them. It's I like that all of them are useful. There is a time and place for all of them, and you can also pick favorites. Yeah, there isn't very like it's very rarely a case where you have to be this particular one. It almost never happens. You can usually use whoever you want, and I like that. I you know I don't know about you. I all I almost always roll a. Uh, coyote if i can not just because of you're fucked but like i (laughs) you know 
I don't know. I think the the power of this pistol is right for me. It's a little inaccurate compared to some other ones, but I liked it. Um, Mask is really great once you power him up. Like, he starts out not so great, but as the game goes on, you can find some power-ups for him that really, mm-hmm. you know, then he can just wreck anything. It's it's kind of ridiculous. I like the, the star turn of it. Yeah, I, I didn't use Mask a whole lot because his guns only shoot once before you have to reload, and it's yes. a pretty long reload. Mm-hmm. I rolled with Dan. Dan felt like the, you know, get used to playing Killer7, just play as Dan. He has a bunch of health. His gun is really powerful. Uh, he's easy. Kaede, I rolled with because of the uh, the sniper pistol. And then once I played as Coyote and heard that you're fucked voice line, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm throwing Coyote in the rotation. <laughs> the only one I like really didn't use that often was Kevin. Uh, except for situations where I needed to be invisible. Yeah, I used Kevin a lot. I, you know, I used him a lot more than I typically do in this current playthrough, just because, you know, I know where stuff is, and I know where now I can cheese some stuff by being invisible, you know, where I yeah. where's the perfect time to do it. So I used him more than usual. But before, it was just kind of a once-in-a-while thing, like, okay, this is kind of giving me trouble. If I need to use invisibility, I can, then, um, then yeah. I do want to say one thing, and I don't know how much you know about this topic, but before we Mm. get in, we're going to talk puzzles in a second, and I want to talk about it this way or kind of introduce it this way, if you don't mind. Sure. So our our friends Bill and Thrack, they do a podcast called the 3DO Experience, which is it's it's currently on hiatus. But like I wanted to shout it out anyway, because there's a number of great episodes anyone out there can go listen to. So go listen to them. They recently did an episode on D. The Kenji Eno project. Kenji Eno, in the, if anyone doesn't know that it is, he used to, he had a company back in the day. He made a very weird number. He made a very great number of weird, <laughs> rather, um, games in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being D, as I said, and there's a sequel D2, there's Enemy Zero. These games are so bizarre and so out there. Hey, kind of like Killer 7, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, while during this recent playthrough and partly because I heard their episode on D, I was just thinking to myself, was Suda51, like, he had to have been influenced by Eno's work. I just, it just seems impossible that he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't, but to me, Kenji Eno is like the original, like, Japanese, like, uh, yes, Kojima existed, but you know what I mean? Like, in this kind of, like, weird space, making these weird games with the technology available to him at the time, the best he could, I kind of feel, and of course, I like Kenji Eno's games as much as as I like Suda51's, because I'm that kind of weirdo. But, I, again, I don't know how much you know about uh, his his work, but it had to have influenced Suda51. I couldn't help but thinking about it while playing this. Gotcha. Yeah, I never heard of that before. And it turns out that D is just a terrible game name for SEO. So when I'm trying <laughs> yes. to find screenshots, it's uh, it's rough. Is it the game with the person for with a TV for a head? No, it is okay. not. Yeah, fail, <laughs> failure. So yeah, I, I, I guess I'm going to have to hit up Bill and Thrack for, uh, for D. I mentioned uh, I mentioned Johnny Marr earlier, and one of the one of his side projects is with Bernard Sumner from New Order, and it's called Electronic. The oh, band is yeah. called Electronic. That is the worst SEO in the, exactly. on the face Electronic. of the planet. Electronic band, shit. Electronic yeah. music, shit. 
electronic, electronic concert. Damn it. Yeah, electronic uh, 90s. No, that's not going to work, right? Yeah. Like, it's just. <laughs> yeah, keep sometimes. getting all this just... Moby. God damn it. <laughs> yep. Uh, BT again. No, I want electronic. <laughs> <laughs> so we've explained the gameplay. We've talked about some of the strategy behind it. But I said at the top of the show, I found the gameplay to be really fun. It, a little bit repetitive, but repetitive fun things and never like. The only rare times where it was like, I go into a hallway and there's like four heaven smile right fucking there. And it was like, <laughs> I don't know what I could have done there to avoid this. Other than that, rare occurrences. I had a really, really good time playing this. The fact that I was not able to connect with the story, you know, like weird shit that I don't quite understand will only go so far. I wanted mm -hmm. to keep playing this a lot of times because I thought this gameplay was really fun. Um, and I want to know how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I feel about it. It just made me want to see what's next. I wanted to see the next weird thing. That's all I really need in a game like this, especially something adventure. And it's like usually in adventure, it's about the story. You want to see what's happening in the story next. You kind of do in this, but you know you're not going to like understand it, understand it, right? Mm -hmm. You just want to see the next weird thing. Like I said, I wanted to, okay, what's going to happen when I go into this room? Oh, we're going to have a weird game of Mahjong in one of the weirdest cutscenes I've ever seen. Okay. You know, like <laughs> you just, you just want to see it. So yeah. yeah. The, uh, the other aspect of this is the adventure game puzzles, which we've talked about before, and we've we've actually talked about their design a little bit and how they're, um, they're friendlier than a lot of adventure games are as far as puzzles go. Um, the logic behind using items in specific situations is usually pretty easy to figure out. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, you know, like tie a rope around the chicken and then put it in the cannon. And then that's going to help you uh, defeat the poison ivy or some bullshit like that. <laughs> There's um, very few items that you actually get. And cr I think crucially, one of the things that makes this easier than a lot of adventure games is there are these rings that you pick up that have elemental properties and you'll use them to solve adventure game puzzles. Those are the only things that persist from level to level. And a lot of times, those are the only things that you need. Uh, there are other things that you find that you'll use for puzzles, but like you're not going to pick up something in level two and then use it in level six unless it's one of those rings. And there's only seven of the rings. So you're not going to get overwhelmed by options. And you're not going to like come to a point and be like, oh, there's a thing stuck up on a streetlight. I wonder, should I use the fire ring here? No, you're not going to use the fire <laughs> ring. You're going to use the wind ring to get it down. Right. And so a lot of it makes sense, and I appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of it makes sense. And I like that they give you a lot of help. Like we said, we had that, that hint guy earlier who, if yeah. you, you really want a big-ass hint, or sometimes he'll just straight up tell you what to do. That That's the know? thing, too. Like, he will give you a hint. It'll be a vague hint, but it will be a hint. And then if you want, like, the capital H hint, you can pay him for it. Yeah, and I think that's great. And um, Iwazaru and Travis will also tell you stuff. Iwazaru will say sometimes before you get somewhere, 
oh, you know, let the Hellion handle this one, you know, meaning Dan Smith because he knew the Hellion shot, you know, like and stuff like that. So they will tell you, give you hints about how to beat enemies sometimes. I mean, that's not a puzzle puzzle, but I mean, I guess sometimes it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they stuck to the pre-rendered, old school pre-rendered um, at that at this point anyway. Uh, Resident Evil, like kind of like, oh, you know, here's the like, remember the horse racing one? I won't say anything more where it's oh, like yeah. these weird yeah. little like, you know, like pre-rendered horses, like doing this thing like that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, you know, I like that. I like that stuff. It yeah. really fits in with the game. It almost sounds incongruent with all the like cell shading and, you know, like textureless stuff, but it, it really does work. And, and the map is like great. It tells you everything. Oh, when you come back here, here it has like a big old wind ring, like, you know, things showing on. If you really can't figure it out, you can just look at the map and say, Oh, here it is. Or the next soul bullet is over here. Okay. I need to do this. Or yeah. the map just tells you everything, which is fine. Yeah. The ultimate goal of most of these levels is you have an assassination target because you're a team of assassins. But before you can get to them, you do these puzzles, you pick up these items called soul bullets as rewards. Sometimes you only need one, sometimes you need like six of them, it just depends on the level. And that's going to be the thing, like once you've collected all the soul bullets, then you can move on into that area with that dance track, and then go fight the boss or something like that. So that is like your ultimate goal. That's what you're trying to get. Those are the, the MacGuffins, I suppose. But um, you're right. A lot of times, you know, I would get to the end and the guy would say, like, you don't have enough soul bullets. And they'd be like, fuck, I missed one. Well, just check the map. It will tell you where it is. You might have to solve a puzzle to get it, but you'll at least have a direction where to go. Yeah, it's very helpful. They don't want you to be too stuck on any one thing in this yeah. game for a reason. They want they want you to keep it moving. They want they want success out of you, you know? And it's 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 kind of especially in a game where it's kind of easy to die like you said, not everything will like one hit KO you, but sometimes it can. And then if it happens to Garcian too, you're kind of game over. Now again, you're never too like you said, you're never too super duper far from a save point. And even if you do get set back a little bit, you know exactly what to do already. So yep. it's not really that big a deal. So they they want you to keep this this train rolling, which I, I appreciate. Yeah. The only thing that I kind of like didn't like about that whole setup is you can only save in save rooms and you can only save in some save rooms. Uh, <laughs> some of the save rooms, there's there's a woman in the save room. Um, her name is Samantha. Yes. And it it's almost like when she feels like it you can save like sometimes you'll go in she'll be in this you know servant's outfit and she'll save for you sometimes she'll just be like lounging in the chair and you can't even talk to her she's like nah fuck off not right now yeah um and you know i've said before i said on the resident evil episode like i have so much more free time to play video games than a lot of people my age but sometimes i still like I want to stop playing. I want to save the game and turn the fucking thing off. Yeah. But, and you just can't all the time in this. It's not like you're going to go hours without being able to save, but sometimes it would be like, okay, cool. I found Harmon's room. That means I can save. Ah, shit. Samantha's just chilling. She's not going to help me save right now. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, you know, that's the luxury of playing games nowadays, especially think about a JRPG back in the day where it's like, 
where it wasn't necessarily stingy with save points, but you knew if you were about to get into some shit, you may not be able to save for an hour. So you yep. better have time to be able to do that. You can't just go to your Nintendo Switch and just press the power button and <laughs> suspend right. it, you know? <laughs> like, so you, you better be prepared that you can do this right now, you know? And now, now we don't have to worry about stuff like that, but. Yeah, it's like, it's something that annoyed me, but it was never something where it was like, well, I'm just going to turn this off because I have to go now. I didn't run into that situation. So I guess mm-hmm. I was a little bit smart about it where it was like, okay, I found a, I found a place where I can actually save. I got something to do coming up soon. I'll just call it for now. It, that's basically what it yep. boiled down to. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk a little bit in the spoiler section. Also, now that we brought up uh, Samantha, I have some issues with the way they handle what I think I, and I'm even unclear if she's the only female character in the game, but they kind of treat her like shit and give her a really strange and like kind of offensive depiction. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section, but I do want to just shout that out. It is something that bothered me. uh, And I didn't have a thing that came up in the spoilers or the uh, story section earlier about it. We'll talk about Samantha later. Um, Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the um, adventure game puzzles, the combat, I think it all works together pretty well. And aside from not being able to save every time I wanted to, and a couple of situations where uh, either I don't know how to fight a heaven smile, and they kill me, or there's like six of them, and they kill me. I didn't have a lot of frustration with this, um, which is something that I really appreciate. And I think you said something to the effect of, they don't want you to be stuck. They want you to be able to keep moving. Yeah. And I, I think that that's true. And this was a really fun game to play. Yeah. It's it's an acquired taste, this Killer7, huh? Obviously, it's not for everybody, which, yeah. you know, reflected in its sales figures at the time. This game did, <laughs> did jack shit at retail. Obviously, sales figures from back then are murky, but, like, it's very – it's very understood that this sold probably under 80,000 copies, which like back then, that's not like the absolute worst thing, depending on your budget. But for something like Killer 7, which was obviously high budget. No, obviously, yeah. it's not going to work. Not um, great. So, you know, an acquired taste. However, if this if us talking about this game, if this sounds like it's for you, it is. Trust me, it is. Yeah. This game will occupy a unique space in your mind like nothing else will. I promise. Like, it is unafraid to be exactly what it is. You know, and, you know, we've been talking about this, all this adventure game stuff. By 2005, adventure games were like this were pretty rare. Mm. You know, we were kind of getting out of the like the last throws of them, maybe in the very early 2000s with like a miss sequel or two. Right. We didn't we weren't really making games like that anymore. And then you add in the fact that it's very much for adults and then only certain kinds of adults. You know, you mm-hmm. have like he said, you have to be the right kind of person to enjoy this. You're really limiting your audience here. And and I kind of touched on this before, but think about how many publishers would have insisted that they just make this like a first person shooter or whatever. Or just no, we need to make it like this. We can't make this adventure game in 2005. Capcom mm-hmm. allowed Suda 51 to do this and Grasshopper Manufacturer. And I'm just I'm so grateful that it exists. You may not like the vision of Killer 7, but it's somebody's true vision. And I will never, no matter what, I will always appreciate that, whether I like the game or not. Yeah, 
I, I think that's a really good way to put it. There's a lot of whinging out there about homogenization of video games and, you know, chasing trends and things like that. And then you get something like this that is doesn't seem to be chasing any trend whatsoever. There is there's nothing about this game where I was like, oh, they're pandering to this audience. Nothing about this game felt like they were like, well, let's try and latch on to this, you know, the rising draft of these other types of things. Like in 2005, whatever trends were going on, like first person shooters, this is a first person shooter, but it's not like Halo or something like that. It's not like Call of Duty. And you could never market it as one because if you market it, hey, here's the new FPS from Capcom. You'd be like, people get this home be like, what? (laughs) What the hell is this? (laughs) Mom, am I allowed to be playing this? (laughs) So when we are wrapping up here and we're talking, you know, closing thoughts and talking about, you know, recommending this to people, I think that you said it really, really well, where if this is something that you value, if you value playing unique games with unique visions that are the authentic version of like that vision that someone had. I don't, I don't get the feeling that this game was watered down from the original vision. And if it was God help Suda 51, <laughs> because this game's weird as fuck. Um, so if you value stuff like that, uh, if you take a look at this aesthetic uh, or if you've enjoyed the stuff that we've talked about, I think Killer Seven's definitely worth a try. I am not going to sit up here and say that everyone's going to love it. Uh, it's it's a polarizing game, and I think that it earns that reputation. It earns those differing opinions. But I do think that like this is something to be valued to play stuff like this, and this is why I like. There's part of me that thinks that like auteurism and auteur worship is harmful. But then the other side of it is you do get really authentic pieces of people's visions like this. And, uh, you know, I've, I've covered some Kojima stuff on the show and there's more upcoming. And with projects like that, you get the good parts. You also get the warts because no person is perfect. And the closer you get to one person's vision, the more of those warts will show too. Yeah. But this is valuable. Stuff like this is valuable. So Killer7, if it sounds interesting, like Andre said, worth a try. And it, it's not expensive, but you can buy it on Steam. Yeah. A uh, couple bucks. It's good. Yeah. Even if you were, for some reason, found like an old like GameCube version, I don't recommend PS2, but like an old GameCube version, even just do that. I still think that version would hold up just fine. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, before we get into the spoiler section, we'll take care of a little bit of housekeeping. First things first, Andre, I've mentioned Fine Time at the top of the show. I mentioned the uh, Capcom 5 two-part series that you all did. Um, but what other types of stuff uh, do you do on Fine Time? Going to introduce the show, and obviously tying in with this episode, we'll recommend those Capcom Five episodes. But if there's anything else that you feel like is representative of Fine Time, we can point people that way too. Um, you know, there's some episodes I'm really proud of. We, um, I would say. Uh, I think November 2022, me and a friend Ven guested on the show, and we talked about. Mega Man and Base and how when it came out, it was like revered as like this super, super Famicom import. Nowadays, its reputation is trash. 
Mm-hmm. And we we went through like a lot of stuff, like whether it's like YouTube, like groupthink or like, you know, like how how this game's reputation got tarnished from something that was people love. Now people just say it sucks. And then we yeah. talk about the game itself and why we like it. But then also we take those criticisms and sort of defend the game against it. And I think it's one of the better things that we've put together on Fine Time. I was super proud of that episode because it came out kind of perfect i almost don't say that about anything i do but honestly i wouldn't change a thing about it i think nice. um there's that if i'm trying to think what else what else did we uh that you said the capcom 5 stuff um oh you know a, an episode and this uh, <laughs> i'm partially saying this because this is our most downloaded episode on fine time but around that same time i would say like fall beginning into fall late summer um 2022 we did an episode called arcade archives a beginner's guide because it's mm-hmm. so intimidating you get the one a new arcade archives game comes out every week you go on the eShop or, or <laughs> PSN you just see it there and it's like well what is this and there's hundreds of them but me but we're those kind of arcade heads where we just hey if you don't know what you're doing out there you want to get adventurous you don't just want to play Pac-Man or something you know here's some stuff that you can play and people seem to appreciate that. So I'm I'm glad because people always ask me, uh, what do you recommend to play this? And I'm terrible at recommendations because I'm like, I, I don't know your taste. I don't know you. Right. So I can't give mm-hmm. you a recommendation for you. Um, this is a I thought that episode was a nice general way to say, hey, here are some things that I think a lot of people can enjoy. So, yeah, maybe those two. Nice. Awesome. And then um, I guess just give the general pitch for like what are what is the the general premise of fine time aside from those, you know, single episodes. Um, fine time is just a show where we talk about what we're interested in. Sometimes it's what we're genuinely playing rather, I guess I could put it that way. Sometimes it'll be the latest and greatest. Like, I mean, we're going to record right now and talk about Mario wonder. Um, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's like, Hey, I've been playing this obscure topographic CD game that I want to talk about. Whatever we're genuinely playing. That's what we're going to say. We do industry news, hot takes on industry news. We love that. We love like talking like, oh, what's the latest bullshit about like in television Amico or whatever? Like, what's the you know, like obviously we've been like LOLing at a lot of the uh Microsoft, you know, Activision merger and stuff like that. So we like talking industry stuff. And then we play silly games, you mm-hmm. know? Um, like uh we we do the thing, I we often do a thing called Pokemon Real or Fake. I know jack shit about Pokemon. So Steve will make up Pokemon names or sometimes they're real and I'll have to guess real or fake. Well, Kevin laughs at me. It's great. Nice. It's a perfect formula. All Kevin does is sit there and laugh. It's perfect. He's um, got a good gig. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. <laughs> um, but we just we just like to have fun. We like to have fun with video games. We like to have fun with the audience and be our authentic selves. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fine time. I, I think that doing a podcast where you jump between topics – and then a lot of it is just kind of like, what are you playing or what do you want to talk about this week? I think that it's a hard thing to pull off uh, and make yourself stand out from other podcasts that do news and what are we playing and things like that. But I think that you guys have a great mix of chemistry, knowledge about what you're talking about, which is important. You guys know a lot more about video games and video game history than I do. 
I'm just here talking about exactly, I played this game, we're talking about it this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really dig into news or history all that much because I don't know shit. Uh, <laughs> so you guys do. I think it contributes a lot to a really fun uh, and informative show. At the like, And those two things are hard to pull off at the same time. So I want to give the recommendation for everyone out there to go check out that Mega Man and Bass episode. Go check out those Capcom 5 episodes. Um, I first found the show because you all did a review, full spoiler review of Bayonetta 3, which mm. was a game that I had just finished. And I was like, this game sucks. Why is no one talking about how it sucks? <laughs> and you guys talked about how it sucks. And I was like, they get it. They get it. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I've been listening since then. That was over a year ago now. So Yes. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. And uh, everyone can check down in the show notes for a link to find time. And um, yeah, go check out the show. It's quality stuff. Thank you very much. For Tales from the Backlog, it's the same calls to action, call to actions. Nope, I did it right the first time. Calls to action, <laughs> as always. Um, we have a an active and welcoming Discord server that we would love to have you come join. There's an invite link down in the show notes. Uh, come join the Discord and come chat. If you have thoughts about Killer7, that is a good thing to jump in and do. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podcast Addict, they allow reviews, and that's really helpful. So if somebody, you know, searches Killer7, they'll be able to find this episode. And if you want to support monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Uh, All patrons get to vote in polls for what games I do on the show. And Killer7 was in one of those polls. It lost, but then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm playing it anyway. So that's why we're here today. Uh, But you can vote in the polls. Uh, The game that won that poll was Rain World, and that will be coming up soon. Um, So monthly polls, you also get bonus episodes, and you'll get to support people named Dave, or at least one. So that's, we can all agree, that's a good thing. It's important. It's important, Dave. Very important work. Yeah. So uh, Andre and I are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to do full spoilers for Killer7. Okay, Andre and I are back, and we are going to do full spoilers for Killer7. Now, I said in the non-spoiler part that I didn't fully, like, understand the story, so we are not going to explain the story of Killer7. You're going to have to go elsewhere for that if that's what you want. But we are going to kind of give our thoughts on the three main storylines, the storyline with the past of the Smith Syndicate. We'll talk about the political plot and then there's a third storyline that um, develops, which is Garcian's identity. And Garcian is kind of like the main Smith persona. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the ending that we got. And then we'll just kind of rapid fire down some other memorable stuff from the yeah. game. Sounds good. So one of the key things that you find out fairly early on in the game, and then it gets developed and developed until like the last level is like kind of all about this, is that... All of the Smith personas, Kevin, Garcian, all of them, as well as Union and Travis, are all dead. And they were all either, I, I was never clear on if they were all actually killed by Harmon Smith or if they were their involvement with him in some way, like Garcian, 
well, you actually, you do see Gorsian die. Never mind. Um, <laughs> if they're all dead or if they're all involvement causes them to then be looped into this like involvement. I was never clear on how Harmon, like he has like a superpower basically that he can choose a, a person he kills or a dead person in general and have that become one of these like projections. And you learn how this happened. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, you know, I just on the surface of just like from a gameplay perspective, I like I love the part where you go into the hotel and you see how you kill each and every individual character. I loved Mm -hmm. all that shit. Yeah, that was great. I loved actually seeing it, you know? Yeah. That hotel level is really cool because like you go in and you solve puzzles in the rooms where Kaede and Dan and all of them died, but you don't, that's not, what you see the first time you see that later it it like recontextualizes the spaces that you've been in as oh that's why that puddle of blood was there is because coyote was sitting there when you shot him and killed him stuff like that that's why that electrocuted bath was you know etc yeah yeah Yeah. so um that was cool um in when you go to this level you hear like this kind of it's almost presented as like an urban legend like this is the place where the killer seven committed these murders, these six murders and the six murders turn out to be all the people in the killer seven that aren't Garcian. Basically Garcian's the one going and doing these hits. Uh, and then I suppose that Harmon decided like, yes, these are the people that I want to use my power and like, you know, summon to do these, this work for me. You know, I still, to this day, it doesn't matter how many times I play this game, I still will not totally get what's happening there. Yeah. So Harmon is, Harmon hired, see, I can't even think of a hypothesis. I have no, I have no <laughs> idea. I really don't. And that's right. fine. I It's there, for me, but. <laughs> see, my hypothesis would be that Harmon hired Garcian to do this, but then at the end of the hotel level, Garcian kills a younger version of himself. So yeah. then we get into this territory where I'm like, okay, this is like dreamy weemy. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just rolling with everything I see now. Yeah. With your third eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which he, which he does. Okay. That was one thing I also, you know how when you get, I hope I'm not skipping too ahead, but when you That's get into fine. the thing where you like, um, where you open the safe in the school and yeah. his third eye kind of bleeds, it bleeds across the top of his forehead there, mm-hmm. but you don't really know that that's a thing yet. You right. only find that out later. So I, it's like kind yeah. of weird. Yeah. I was kind of on the trail of like whatever's in that safe is related to Garcian. So I wondered like, is that his dead body in there? And that's what causes this. Like, is there some weird paradox being formed here or something like that? But this, this is not a game where I was like determined or confident that I would be able to make sense of this stuff. So a lot of it was like, yeah, I think that maybe that's what's going on. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to have fun (laughs) theories about what's happening. Uh, maybe, you know, I typically almost never watch YouTube videos about this kind of stuff because I just don't care. I just accept whatever the game has given me or whatever I think. This is one case where I might actually watch someone's Killer 7 because the game is so obscure that it's like the people who are doing this really give a shit. Like somebody cares, right? So I would like, I guess I would like to hear someone's theory. Maybe I should seek that out. Yeah, I, I think that that would be interesting. 
I was thinking about doing that in preparation for this episode, but then I was like, I don't want to come in the spoiler section and act like I know what's happening as if it were my own ideas. <laughs> exactly. And if I watched a YouTube video, I would literally just be taking notes on what they say and then presenting that as my own idea. And I don't want to do that. So, yep. um, so yeah, you, you go through that hotel mission. Um, it's the last level, but you find the truth about how basically everyone you've been talking to or controlling has been killed by Harmon Smith in some way. And then he just kind of, there's some superpower. You apparently find out that Harmon Smith is immortal. Yeah. As is his rival that you, there's that scene early in the game where you're having like this sniper off and you, you line up a shot and shoot him and he just, he catches the bullet, but it like pulls him across the city. I love it. That's one of my that's one of my favorite fucking things ever. I love it. It was so it was so ridiculous. And it's cool looking. And then it also was like a hell of a way to reveal the game is in Seattle. Because he just yeah. shoots them right <laughs> to the space needle. So yeah. it's like, okay, I guess that's a thing. But then it, like that happens early in the game, and of course at the end of the game that happens again to reveal, I guess it looks like the future, but it's also still the space needle. So I guess it's just kind of, re- it's supposed to just clue it in. Hey, this cycle happens forever. Him and green Dracula over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see. I wasn't clued in that this is the far future. So like this, this is something I pulled off the Wikipedia entry. Like the fact that it's like, there's a bunch of like, I couldn't tell if it was Chinese or if it was kanji on the signs in that last, you know, the far future scene. Mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh, this is, you know, well, Shanghai has towers like that. So I I don't know, maybe they're in Shanghai this time, but apparently it's the far future. Again, this is like, I don't know where I am. I don't know when I am. I'm just taking it in at this point. Uh, But I guess we do have like this eternal struggle between Harmon and his rival who uh, I didn't write his name down. (laughs) It doesn't matter. (laughs) I don't even remember. <laughs> Let me try to get this get this straight. So after you after you beat the last level, you get one more thing in Garcian's trailer, and we'll talk about Garcian's trailer uh, more. Yeah. <laughs> and Harmon looks like he's dead in there, and there's that door in Garcian's trailer in the back, the one with like the the safe lock on it, the one that has all like the screaming and shit coming from from yeah. it the entire game. It, that's one hell of a tease for like, cause it, every time you're in the trailer, you hear this like wild screaming happening from behind the door. And yeah. I'm just like, every time I was in there, I was like, well, I'll go see if I can open it. You never can until two times at the end of the game. I don't really know what's going on. The first time you can go in, there's like Harmon and his rival are like playing chess or some shit. <laughs> yes. And then the second time you go in, you go all the way down to the bottom and it's supposed to be like, the mother of the heaven smiles and it's Iwazaru, but you kill him. And then it turns out that that was Harmon's rival or some shit. So like, I'm still very confused about what the hell's happening. In that I would room. imagine that the torturous screaming was obviously Iwazaru, I guess. Perhaps I oh, mean, with the BDSM thing. Right, right. And that, and, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I haven't big brained that before. That is literally just something I thought of just now because of the yeah, way you, be. you talked about it. That's the only, I've never had a theory about that until now. Cause why would the screaming sound so tortured and, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause it's not just someone yelling in fright. They're being hurt. You yes, can tell, exactly. right? Yeah. So like it is very 
unsettling uh, sound. God, I wonder – I would love to do an interview with the guy who recorded those screams. I would love to know. <laughs> um, uh, what, what if you what if you searched and it was like some famous – you know, voice actors like the guy who did the voicing for Majima in Yakuza is the one who did the screams in Killer <laughs> Seven or some shit. Yeah, that's that's how we got to start. <laughs> yeah, um, you never you never know sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's um, there, but okay, I don't remember if this is the same scene or if in the same area rather. But you know the part where they're sitting there playing chess. And they just turn towards Garcia and he just blows them away. He just kills yeah. both of them. Yeah. Is that in the same place? I don't even remember. It's behind the same door. You open that door, you go in and they're playing chess. But I could not even begin to try to think of a reason why that happens. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's something all right. So this made me think because Iwazaru, you're told that in there is the leader of the Heaven Smile and it's Iwazaru who is actually the rival in disguise. So Iwazaru has been the one that's been helping you, kind of pushing you in the right direction, helping you assassinate these targets. So I wondered if there was like a, in this eternal game between Harmon and his rival, is this like, you know, some trick that his rival was playing to try and get a leg up this round or something like that? Yeah, it it almost makes it unclear. It almost had the feeling that Harmon always wins the chess match or some, some weird shit. It felt like it was like the, the, you know, the literally like the devil and angel on your shoulder with Harmon being the angel. And he just has to like eternally fight against this thing. Yeah. I guess this is my only real interpretation of the situation. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a story where like, I'm glad we at least came to one, theory possibility together with with what what's happening behind that door i i told you i never i never had a single inkling until just now i'm glad well, we could I'm, think of that i'm, I'm glad we could think of it because there's a lot of these things where we'll just be like is this what's going on and the other one's just like yeah i don't i don't know and we're like yeah that's weird isn't it well moving on um <laughs> yeah uh, after after this is over you get one more mission with um garcian when he has the golden gun and you go and kill some more heaven smiles and stuff. And there's, I, th- I think it's the guy, I think it's the rival guy in the green. Um, mm-hmm. You get a choice to kill him or not, basically. And it's like, it's wrapping up this political storyline about like this instability between Japan and the US, which I could not follow. Because the second half of the game completely forgets about this. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? You're talking about like this secret society, you know, um, this school that raises all the U S presidents and stuff like that. We get into that plot, but with this really abrupt ending where like, okay, so we, we, we did the, the thing with Iwazaru. Oh no. The thing with Iwazaru was after this, you go in, uh, you have a choice to like kill this guy or spare him. I killed him because I didn't know who he was and I was like, I'm, I'm killing him. And then you get like this really quick cut to a cutscene where Japan explodes. Yeah. In 2014, Japan, uh, you know, was exploded by so-and-so missiles, not intercepted by the United States or whatever. Yeah. That's basically the whole thing. It, you had, the U.S. didn't send the missiles. They're deciding whether to intercept them or not to save Japan or right. let Japan blow up. The U.S. didn't send the missiles, I, yeah. but we still don't know where the missiles came from, which whatever, right. I guess. But And so like it's 
a result of this storyline that played out. And then apparently this person that I chose to kill, because there is another ending where Japan doesn't get destroyed if you let that guy live. So apparently my somehow my choice to kill him, like fucked up relations between the US and Japan, where the US was like, you know what, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. So, okay, I've only ever seen the one this where Japan blows up. I've never I never really thought about the fact that there was a possibility where it didn't. So I've only I guess I've only ever killed this guy. I never really I just kind of figured it all went to the same place. I guess not. So I guess I should see it from the other side sometime to reload to save and see. But um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, you know, about that school and that, that, and that whole resolution to like, you know, all the U.S. presidents are decided here at this school and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was like, it will, one, two things. It's a very interesting concept. And again, we talked about it being 2005. Boy, I really don't, I don't know. This just fits the tenor of the time so much, I guess, in a way that I did not realize. Maybe just because I'm older now and I can look back on it and I, I don't know, older, wiser, etc. Definitely just the climate of W administration, for lack of a better term. I, I just, it's, it's so obvious now in a way that I can't believe I didn't pick up on it before, I guess. Yeah. There, there is always that thing where it's like the U.S. doesn't have royal family like they do in the U.K., but the U.S. has royal families. And so yes. a lot of, you know, politicians, at least like the, the really important ones, seem to be the same people that keep coming up again. Uh, so the fact that they, they kind of portrayed this in this game as, you know, well, we have this school for the ultra elite and everyone who graduates from here eventually becomes the president – I thought it was interesting in that school when you're in the gym, um, they have portraits of the the past principals and it looked like there's a picture of Harmon Smith up there mm -hmm. as one of the the past present or principals of that school. So that was interesting. Again, not sure what what to make of that. So maybe he fostered Garcian as a kid to be whatever he needed to be in this current life, in this current like mm -hmm immortal life <laughs> i guess yeah i i suppose if you do have a story with like dueling immortals then they would find their way to like weave themselves into the goings-on of you know the the big powers of the time or something like that yeah it's 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 wild just to think even think about it that way it's just Crazy. There was another scene, though, in the school that I loved, and it's the Russian roulette scene I yeah. kind of touched on earlier, but it was pretty unforgettable. That school headmaster was just like, you know, again, it's Russian roulette. So, you know, he's going first against Garcian, and he's so nervous. He's freaking out. He's like, oh, 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 my God. Oh, my God. And he clicks, and it's like almost like this sort of silent, like, oh, my God, I'm still alive. Garcian, he, when he slides the thing to Garcian, Garcian just picks it up, takes it, click, puts it right back on the table, slides it over in like three seconds flat. Yeah. He doesn't give a <laughs> fuck. Yeah, he doesn't care at all. Like in in this other guy's like with every every pull of the trigger, he's just freaking out. Like mm -hmm. like you or I would basically if we were playing Russian roulette, right? Because obviously it'd be scary as hell. The stoicness of Garcian, I guess, was like perfect matched with this like lunatic. I loved yeah. I loved everything about that scene. It didn't make any fucking sense, but I loved it. 
it, it was really cool. And it also had like, um, remember that scene in Taken where he was like, you forgot the weight of a loaded gun when he tries to shoot him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it had that kind of thing where he, like the, the guy thinks that he won and he's, he's getting real cocky about it. And Garcian takes the gun click again, no shot when it was supposed to be the last round. And Garcian's like, you forgot one thing. This gun holds seven bullets and slides it over. And then the guy sh- kills himself, basically. Yeah. Uh, love it. It's it's great. Seven bullets, killer seven, got to do it. We didn't really camp out. We kind of spread out discussion of voice acting through several things. But I don't think we actually got to the point where we were just like, hey, the voice acting for Garcian, because he talks a lot and other characters that talk a lot is really good. Like... So yeah. you have this scene where Garcian and this person are playing Russian roulette and Garcian is cool, confident, totally in control the entire time. And like the voice acting and stuff is excellent for uh, portraying this. Yeah, absolutely. I think all the characters, it's very memorable stuff. Uh, Dan Smith has that like very like I'm the hero voice, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like it's perfect for him. Because it works. Uh, yeah, uh, Coyote, all of them have, well, Kevin doesn't speak, but like, Coyote is from South America somewhere, I forget. Um, yeah. but like, you know, he has that like perfect accent. Uh, um, uh, Master Smith is obviously also Hispanic. He sounds like it. Like it, it, everyone was like perfectly like, I don't know. Everyone was played really well, I think. When they don't sound yeah. like ghosts. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of like the the side characters, because like you said, only the living people get like, you know, quote, real voice acting. So um, all of those side characters like um, what's the guy's name? Umeda. Um, oh, yeah. The guy mm-hmm. with the guy with the scare, the afro that scares Iwasaru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. So he's his voice acting is good. You know, all the villains that you come across, those um, the Power Rangers ripoffs, they're all great. Um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Let's talk about those Power Rangers, the handsome men, yes. as they say. In the <laughs> I wish you could what they're actually called. I just call them fake-ass Power Rangers. Yes, the yeah. handsome men. The handsome men. Full-ass, um, full, uh, full ass, like, anime sequences, too, introducing them and shit. They didn't hold yeah. back. Like, they, they really sold it. Yeah. There's another interesting kind of, like, magical thing in this chapter, because your, your target is the writer of this comic, the handsome men. And the superpower is that whatever he draws in the comic will then happen in real life with the handsome men. So if he draws the handsome men coming and killing the killer seven, then you have, you know, a situation on your hands. Well, he dies like almost immediately because he draws the handsome men. They get in a fight with the killer seven. One of them does a handsome beam that kills the writer. (laughs) Yep. And then we kind of touched on this. But the boss, like uh, if this were in a different game, you would have just a first person shooter boss fight against the handsome men. But instead, they choose to portray it in, like you had mentioned a couple times, like this graphic novel style where you don't really fight them. Um, You have these duels. The handsome men go up against a corresponding member of the Killer Seven, and you have no agency in who wins and who loses. It's all yeah. predetermined, uh, but it you're you take part. You have to like pull the trigger and stuff like that. But it's really fun. Like even though I'm not doing the fighting, I was like, 
Look at the, they're fighting the fucking Power Rangers. This is hilarious <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now. It's great. It's really great stuff, you know, and it has that heroic music too. It does like the whole bit. Um, there's something I want to mention real quick, and I don't know how, since we're talking about the Power Rangers, I don't know how much I can really say about this. I feel a little bit out of my league, but like, I just felt like it was interesting that like, I touched on it earlier that like a lot of the stuff Suda51 is doing in this game is sort of like, I don't know if making fun of Japanese culture is the correct term, but you know what I mean? Like sort of just taking the piss out of it, just sort of taking yeah, these very yeah. extreme, you know, like like I mentioned the the anime girl with the machine gun earlier and now the fake ass Power Rangers and stuff. It's almost like he's trying to make some sort of societal joke that we're not really picking up on. I wonder if there's something mm. deeper there that a Japanese person playing this game would kind of receive because like, look, if these things were an American game, this would be like almost borderline racist, like almost yeah. right. But like from a Japanese game, obviously it hits different. Like I said, I just feel like there's something deeply cultural there that I don't think we can probably get. But maybe someone who is better at this stuff can maybe say something on it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely safe to say that of the Japanese games that are set in America and referencing American things, this of the ones I've played, you know, incomplete set. But this feels like still the most Japanese of those games. This is more, this feels, well, I was going to say this feels more Japanese than Metal Gear Solid. That's not entirely <laughs> true, but like yeah. the things on the screen are, you still have anime style cutscenes. You have that anime girl, like you said, you have the, uh, the Power Rangers. And I forget like the type of show that the Power Rangers are based on. But yeah, this, this definitely still feels like there is it hasn't crossed the line so far into like Americana that it's no longer that there are no longer things hidden from people who aren't Japanese. That's where yes. I'm getting at. I think no. you're onto something for sure. I think you're totally correct. Yeah, that's that. That's the best way you can put it. Unless, like I said, I wish I knew more culturally. You know, learning Japanese language, you do learn a lot about Japanese culture, but not. You know what I mean? Just because it's so intrinsically tied, as language is, right? But I yeah. obviously don't know enough to really speak on this fully. I just thought oh, it was. Yeah. De it was just definitely interesting, and I want to, you know, say that I, I, I saw that, even though I don't totally get it. I guess. Yeah. No, you're right. Like language and. Um, culture are intertwined. I speak Korean fluently, but there's so much that I'll never know about Korean culture because I'm not Korean. It's just, mm -hmm. you'll never get totally there. So there's always going to be something you'll miss. Yeah. But that is probably true here. And that kind of, you know, pointing that out makes me respect how accurate some of the portrayals of American stuff is too. Like it seems like the best of both worlds if you're able to tap into both sides. Yeah. And this game was, let's not forget, it was co-written by Shinji Mikami, who mm. do, who obviously draws upon some of the same stuff from America as, as Suda51 does. So the two of them putting a thing together, of course it would be like this, right? What else would they make besides Killer7? So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, of course. Yeah, weird game. I was trying to, like, you know more about Suda51's history than me. This was not, like... Was this early Suda51? You know, like, he he worked for other companies before he started to be able to make his weird-ass games the way he wants to, right? 
Yeah, but like he mostly since the late nineties did like very small independent ish projects. So he got published on like, you know, PS one or like whatever. But like this was his big breakout, big budget with a big publisher thing. And probably the first game of his to release in America. I don't know that for sure. Mm. But like this was his big breakout thing, I think like globally, not just in not just in America, but just in general. That's that's what I was getting at. This doesn't feel like someone's first project. This feels like a, or like someone's first project on this kind of scale. This feels like a heat check for someone who's been doing well on a large scale. And then they're like, you know what? You can make whatever the hell you want because you have this clout. And (laughs) apparently that wasn't the case. They were just like, you know, Capcom was just like, hey, just, just make whatever weirdo game you want. We'll put it on there. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad they did. And um yeah. but yeah, um it's just you know, this is still Capcom's IP. Like Grasshopper Manufacturer doesn't have any control over this. Because like Sudo fifty one says he is like to do a sequel, but it's not up to him, it's up to Capcom. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I wish sometime they could get control of this again, so maybe he could do that. But Yeah. So any other I think we've covered like the story as best as we can but let's uh let's just go through some other kind of memorable stuff that happened okay um i you know it took me a long time like you were saying with like samantha for like you know sometimes it was only when she's wearing the maid outfit is when you could save when she's just sitting around wearing her casual clothes it's like okay whatever fuck off um i didn't realize that for a long time i just kind of figured okay she's just not paying attention to me i didn't realize it was the maid outfit was the save outfit you know um i don't know why it took me so long this this is real weird like the her character you know this is a game full of weird characters but her character was just one i had a real hard time wrapping my head around like she has some kind of like dominatrix relationship with Harmon smith like she's being paid to be there i think that's clear right yeah she's in there sometimes you walk in and they're like having sex sometimes she's beating the shit out of him um and then at some point you walk in and she's dead and she's like peed herself and her panties are showing there's Mm -hmm. like something bad happened there was a like a, a nagging thing in my head where i was like and there's only i think there's one other female character who is like the disembodied head you talk with yeah the 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 girl yeah yeah and it's it was it just made me think like okay there's there's one prominent female character it could have been like a you know empowerment thing but then at the end it was very much not an empowerment thing and i was like jesus what the fuck happened with that yeah. and then there's the other female character who is just a dead disembodied head that you find in like a cupboard in every level Mm -hmm. and it was like uh, another thing it's like i don't want to attribute this to a lot to all of the the japanese auteurs but of the ones we've been talking about in this episode it's a thing it is a thing it is a thing it really is even kenji eno like i mentioned earlier the auteur he his um his character that he uses in all his games is is a woman 
But also, man, the stuff that happens to them sometimes in those games is wild. Mm. Um, there was a, there was a mini, uh, censorship controversy. I remember about D2 back in the day where, uh, Sega of America got squeamish about a couple of shots in the game. So they kind of just, it was the same scene, but they just did a couple of different angles. And this was so controversial because you know gamers, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I remember that back in the day and I was thinking like, I get it. Like, I'm not, I don't think it was a big deal. I think they kind of made a lot, they made more of it out of than it, than it should have been, but whatever. Point being of me saying that, um, yeah, the Samantha stuff, it's funny until you brought it up to me this way. Um, and just now, and even before we did the podcast, I was like, you know, yeah, I guess so. But I don't know if that's a failing on me to think that, like, man, this is kind of a, I don't want to say it's a problem in this game necessarily, but when you put all the evidence together, especially with the, you know, people have criticisms of Kojima stuff and whatever in the same way, right? And I don't, I don't think this is a pattern in Suda 51's games. I'll put it that way. Okay. Yeah. And and this is, you know, the only one I've played. Um, It was just something I noticed where I was like, okay, so we have one prominent female character. Her purpose is to be this, uh, you know, she, her purpose is to be like this dominatrix figure. And then she dies in a way where I was like, all right, is that the way that she had to die in this story? Like you couldn't have just found her laying on the floor dead in a pool of blood, like everyone else in the game. It's just something that like, maybe I'm keyed into a little bit uh, because I'm a bit more sensitive because I have been playing Kojima games and that's an issue in Kojima games. So just something that I thought to mention and I, it it was noteworthy because between all the levels, you always have these scenes between Samantha and Harmon, and they're always so fucking weird. Like, yeah. I have no idea what's going on there. She's like, slapping the shit out of him. Come on, old man, eat or whatever. Just trying to force like cream of wheat in his mouth or whatever exactly, it is, right? Yeah. Like, it is just like so wild. But that made me think, like, is Harmon in this particular immortal life? starting to die so he needs to stay alive long enough for like who the fuck knows i mean i don't even know right but yeah, like <laughs> that, that was part of why it didn't make sense to me because sometimes samantha is there for this like very obviously like she's there as a sex worker and mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that but that's not her whole role sometimes she's there trying to get him to eat sometimes she's there just hanging out and she's like I was just waiting for you to get here. So I don't know, you watch the old man. Now I can Mm -hmm. go to school and shit. Like Mm -hmm. I have no idea what's happening with her character. And yeah, just the ending was like, okay, I I was like, I was already on the like, okay, what's going on here. And now the, the ending of her storyline was like, all right, that's, we didn't have to do it like that. It it could have been more interesting, I guess, than her just being dead. It was literal, literal dead end. You know, I guess it could yeah. it could have been more than that, but it was just like, oh, I guess she's dead now. Or yeah. moving right but along. <laughs> you you raise an interesting question because, like, if Harmon is immortal, and he and this other person are on this like this eternal battle against each other, then yeah, why is he this like completely feeble old man in in Garcian's? Yeah. Uh, in Garcian's trailer, like he never talks in those scenes. Maybe, you know what it could be? 
maybe doing like the projection because you're controlling Garcian during those scenes. Maybe that is just too much. Like he can't exist in both states yeah. at the same time. Maybe. And also, you know, like, because to speak to him, you have to go to the TV and turn to him. And then Samantha becomes the maid Samantha. The master will see you now. Or the master is awake. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you're talking to him in this. And Garcia kneels because he feels fealty towards him. And then, like, he spe- Carmen does speak to him in that instance. But that, like, that has to be some sort of mind thing. It's not, you know, real. Yeah. Right? I don't know, man. It was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird, Killer Seven. The, the whole thing, yeah, the whole thing. Um, let's see. I think we covered a lot of the the stuff I stuff I wanted to touch on in the spoiler section here, as far as um, memorable stuff. the The Olmeda boss fight, I guess, is one thing I, I want to talk about. Uh, how you he turns into this monster because of this because um, the Heaven Smile like virus turns him into this monster. Yeah, but before you do that. You have this scene where like, because he has like this, almost like a cult, basically, in mm-hmm. this town, right? And you have this scene where he like chooses this lucky winner, and he gives them like this sports car, and he makes them like drive as fast as they can, like to a faster than possible speed in a sports car, so fast that like they die from driving too fast. And that's yeah. their like reward for being picked by the leader that was another one of those scenes where i was like that is really fucking weird i don't think it fits into the greater story but like that who had this idea what what's going on here yeah and they did that in like an anime sequence too it wasn't that wasn't real time they really wanted you to see and like yeah it was (laughs) it was so weird his it's just like oh man it was wild yeah i love that scene uh might be my favorite scene of the game i just thought that was crazy looking and then you fight Olmeda by like oh his brain's out of his head i just shoot it once okay that's over <laughs> it's just like okay i like how they don't really try to make you work for most boss battles that way but that was yeah. that was fun i think the only other thing i was thinking about was that like when garcian's informant gets killed on the bridge they're talking in the car and someone snipes him Mm-hmm. And it just turns into like I love that scene. It was almost like Heat, like the movie Heat. It was mm-hmm. it was great. Garcia has to get out of the car, and they're still shooting at him. And I was just like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't it kind of I didn't expect that to happen. But like, yeah, I thought that was like a cool little little nugget. Yeah, because um, Garcia had been having those informant meetings throughout the game, and again, something that like I was watching those scenes. Obviously, I think this is it's portraying Garcian as like the the public facing person. He he's the one who goes out, he gets the intel, he helps out with all of that stuff cuz for whatever reason Harmon can't or doesn't want to go out and do that stuff, so he sends Garcian and then eventually something bad happens there. Like I, I guess showing that like cuz Garcian reacts like he's in danger during that scene. So I I guess it was just showing maybe foreshadowing that the Killer 7 are not immortal. Like when they're out doing this stuff, like they still feel danger, which then comes back when you do that boss fight in the gym, which is unwinnable. Um, where the, all of the killer seven, like one by one, they can't hurt this like new version of the heaven smile and they all die, uh, until Garcian gets the golden gun, which is cool. Right. And so they all like, you know what? Yeah. I guess that's the last time you're, you use any of them because they all sort of quote unquote die right there. 
Because mm-hmm. the rest of the game, you play as Garcian, especially up to the roof, and then you open the briefcase that he's been carrying the whole time, has all the weapons in it of the Killer 7. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, is that what you expected to be in the briefcase, by the way? I didn't really have, I didn't oh, really think yeah. about it as the it game was went like on. It was like a Pulp Fiction situation with the briefcase. I guess I didn't really think about it either. But then when he opened it up, I, I guess, because he always carries it. And then when you pick up one of the meat sacks with the dead bodies or with the dead Smiths, he yeah. opens the briefcase. So I was like, oh, that's his body revival kit or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess it, it has all the guns for the other Smiths. Yeah. So he's the the public face of the Smith syndicate and he's also the the armory or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was strange. Yeah, I didn't really think about what was in there before beforehand. I was like, oh, it's just the weapons. Okay, cool. I guess so. But yeah, I think I think I'm out of spoiler shit. I think yeah. we covered our bases. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the last thing, and just real quick for anyone who's beaten the game, um, you after you beat the game, you unlock a high difficulty mode, and it's called Killer Eight mode, which I thought was funny. And it's <laughs> yes. called Killer Eight because you get to play as a new character. It's it's uh it's really cool and I, it, it's very striking because it's also yellow compared to the red of the rest of the game. It's killer right. eight. It looks it looks funny. Yeah, yeah. So that is Killer Seven. So Dre, thanks for coming on and and talking about it with me, man. Uh, no problem. I love this game and I'm glad you enjoyed it enough where we could really like uh just get into the weird because I figured you would and I'm I'm glad I was right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely glad that I pushed it onto the show, uh, made myself play it. Um, I, you know, I'm not only looking for this kind of game, but I do like to play a unique, weird game. Even if I can't make sense of the story, I I will still remember the experience of playing Killer7. So again, uh, this was a good time. I appreciate you coming on. Everyone who has made it to the end, I appreciate you all listening. Uh, You can, again, check down in the show notes for Find time, which I recommend you check out, especially I, I'll probably just put links to those um, Capcom 5 episodes as well. So if you want to go straight from Killer 7 to the series on the Capcom 5, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so go down and check down there. Appreciate everyone who listens. As always, thank you to the patrons and tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog. <laughs>